kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Hello out there, Morris Bishtinsky here. You've downloaded episode 24 of Love That Album podcast. This is the podcast where myself and a guest host will carry on at some length and some episodes at greater length about an album that uh, either one of us or both of us love. And I can say with a whole lot of confidence that uh, myself and my guest host, I'll introduce in a few seconds, um, are madly in love with uh, the album under discussion, under focus in this episode. That's called Ben Fold's Songs for Silverman. Um, and on the other end of a Skype connection, I have one of the two hosts of the Better in the Dark podcast, Mr. Thomas DJ. Uh, good evening. Well, no, it's good morning in your time of the world. <laughs> good morning, Thomas. <laughs> But is a time all relative, Morris? Thank uh, you very much. My, it's a my pleasure, pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to have you on. Um, as we we're saying before, we went on uh, before I started to record. Uh, I really would have thought that it would be no big thing to find um, someone else who was a big Ben Folds fan to talk about. And certainly, I know uh, a, a lot of people here who uh, are big Ben Folds fans, or at least you know they know enough of his work, but no one who's willing to talk. And um, as you've gone and told me before, you're willing to talk. So, um, so this, will be, this will be a wonderful show. Um, so, look, before we sort of get into the formalities of the show and talking about all things Foldsian and the like, um, give a bit of a taste for the listeners as to your podcasting and your blog work. What's, um, what's your background? Well, you know, back in the old days, I thought about the Army, but my father said that was freaking high. No, no, no. That's... I'll be serious. Um, God, uh, okay. Better in the Dark itself. It started out, the, the great legend goes that I had a friend who started an internet radio show, an internet radio station, that lasted all about two months when he, till he found a girlfriend. Mm. And he had asked me to do some content for it. And one of the ideas I came up with was a, uh, like a movie review show. Okay. And I brought in my best friend, Derek Ferguson, Hey, Derek. Hi, Derek. And um, we started recording, and then the guy put up one episode, and then, like I said, found a girlfriend, decided he didn't want to do this stupid radio station anymore. And we had, like, about four or five episodes already recorded, so we said, well, what we're going to do, let's put it out on the web as a podcast and be done with it. Mm. But then people started listening to it. (laughs) And and then some guy comes to me and says, hey... I like your show. I made a theme song. And oh. another guy comes to us and says, hey, we put up a message board. And before you know it, we've got this little media empire going on. It's been going on <laughs> for about six years. Oh, wow. uh, two guys out of Brooklyn talking movies, although more often than not these days, talking about whatever the heck we got up our butts. Mm. So look, I've gone and read some of, your, uh, some of your music blog, and I've gone and read some of 
Derek's uh, film analysis and film criticism. And I've, actually, yeah. I've actually got to say something. I, I don't know whether to, whether to be... I'm sort of angry at Derek because first thing I looked up on his blog, I saw, oh, he's gone and written an article about Midnight Cowboy, a film that I love. Mm-hmm. And then he went and tore it to pieces. And I was really, really mad about that. But the worst part about it was some of the criticisms that he made, I thought about and thought, well, he's right. But do I, am I mad at him for hanging shit on a film that I love? Or do I get mad at him for... You know, him him partly, not completely, but partly, start again, I've got to move Mr. Tongue and Mr. Lips, partly convincing me that he had some valid points, some valid criticisms about the film. But uh, But one of our principles at Better in the Dark is, uh, it's a Harlan Ellison quote, you're not right, you don't have the right to your opinion, you have your right to your informed opinion. (laughs) And the one thing I love about Derek is that he backs everything up. He's not one of these people like, I mean, all too often today, I, I think you, you listen to a podcast and you just say, you hear the people going like, oh, I hated this, and they don't have reasons behind it. Mm. And we try very much on the show and also in the various bloggy things that we both do separately uh, to back up our reasoning for liking or disliking something. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, um, so is there anything else that you want to mention about um, about your podcast? So you had you had those uh, you know, that initial uh, fortuitous accident, as it were, by yeah. the internet radio station falling apart. But uh, do you find that your shows developed, changed much over time? Because you're like at what 130, 140 episodes. Uh, we're now. editing 133 now. Okay. Which. Um it's it's evolved a bit. That we we started out doing these kind of like preview episodes that we dropped after a while because it just wasn't fun for us. Yep. Um, and there are things that we have added, like uh, BITD autopsy, when Derek and I get upset about something, <laughs> and we try to figure out why this thing went wrong. Yep. Um, or the director's courts episode, which is boring. Go ahead, Maurice. I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. Go for it. Where um, we, it's basically a lot of times when we come up with a, a theme, uh, a, a recurring um, feature, it's because we want an excuse to talk about something, which is why we have like the Great Great Men Hall and we have Director's Court as an excuse for us to talk about a director in a more abstract sense. So it's like, oh, well, we want to talk about, it. we've got one coming up with Nicholas Rogue. And it's just where we sit there and, you know, we'd like to talk, we don't want to talk about specific movies, but we want to talk about the style of the director and some of the issues that grew up around him as his career progresses. And that's what Director's Court is all about. Okay. So it's just, when we decide there's something we need to do, we just come up with a recurring feature. Hmm. No, look, you certainly, um, you certainly have a great show going there and, uh, uh, the two of you are uh, it, so incredibly enthusiastic, and that's really one thing that I love about the show. I mean, obviously, there are, I've heard a lot of great podcasts where there's a lot of uh, uh, you know, interesting opinions to be made about the films, but um, uh, the, the two... Do, actually, so do the two of you record in the same room? Or, or We're in you? the same room. Okay, right. So that, We have that, our own studio in Derek's basement. Yep. And I think that I think that really helps create more of a sense of intimacy. Yeah, that was with the, the audience. Yep. 
No, so. no, it sounds uh, sounds like a fine plan, and if nothing else, it means that on a weekly basis or you know, however often, uh, you two guys have a chance to uh, get together and talk movies and music and shit, and maybe what I presume have a beer or two or something. Or? Um, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so yeah. it's usually more of a, a cup of tea or two. Like, yeah, a lemonade or, uh, you know, a glass of water or something, you know. Indeed. Welcome to con- uh, Podcast Confessionals here. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thomas, please step up to the to the bar. Oh, no, God, not step up to the bar. Why did I say that? Um, anyway, okay, so what we're going to do at this stage uh, is talk a little bit about uh, what albums you've been listening to. That's... Uh, uh, something I like to ask my guests, I like to get a bit of a feel for what else it is that you like besides the album under question. Well, in addition to the panoply of uh, Ben Fold's material, including... Did you download that uh, recent uh, concert that I posted? I did. I did. Um, the, uh, the one from uh, Mountain Jam. The, the yeah. Mountain Jam thing. Yes, I, I, I went, to, uh, went to YouTube and mm-hmm. um, sought that out. And yes, it, was, uh, it really sounded... They sounded like they've not been a part of single day. Yeah. Oh, well, that's one of the things I, I love about Ben as a whole. Is just he's one of those people that it seems like he just loves being up there. Mm, he certainly does. You know, I mean, you could see in that Mountain Jam how much excitement he has about the fact that I get to hang out with these these people again, and I get to play for these people over here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to, as you know, a couple of. Uh, because, as you and I talked about earlier before when we started recording, one of my uh, loves is the Great Signing Massacre of 1994. Mm. And various bands that got signed in the wake of Nirvana to only get dropped about two or three years later. Yes. And I've been revisiting a couple of them, like uh, The Odds. I think I posted on the you did, that I, album. I followed up. I um, went, and went onto YouTube and listened to every track of that album that is yeah. really glorious power pop that group it, it's it's one this was a band and I, I learned about them once because as you know my, my great idol uh more than any other writer artist whatever is warren zevon okay and i first learned of the odds because they opened for warren zevon on the tour supporting mr bad example and what would happen is they would come out and they would open and then they would pull their uh instruments back and they'd be Warren's backup band. Right. Wow. And I bought it. Yeah, they they like these one it's like what would happen if Toronto tried to answer the answer squeeze? Yes. And they kind of got the question right. They got kind of got the question right. Um and then they broke up for a while. Unfortunately, they got back together about 3 years ago and it's not been the same. It's yeah. Unlike, let's say, the DBs, the DBs have a new album out. I've, I've listened to that this morning. And it's obvious that the DBs are much older, but they still have that same structure. The voice, it's, getting, it's weird getting used to their voices now that they're like 20 years older. Yep. But they still have everything in place. Mm. So it still sounds like classic DBs. Yeah. But the odds, uh, the odds comeback album quote-unquote cheerleader was it was kind of sad because it was like they didn't know what they wanted to be anymore mm. um, I, I, just to sort of a point i wanted to uh, bring up about that uh, i um i don't remember who it was but someone had gone and posted up on uh, facebook a, a link to a video of squeeze 
appearing on, I think it was uh, one of your late night shows, was it Jimmy Fallon? Uh, yeah. they, were, they were doing, um, uh, pulling muscles from a shell, which I think has got to be the greatest song about wanking ever. Um, actually, maybe I should suggest to the List Music Podcast that they would do a top five songs about wanking. One of these days, I've always intended to do a mixtape about things that are about that, that you don't know are about masturbation. <laughs> well, I, I yes, I only just recently found out that uh, a, a song I'd heard in my uh, teenage years that I always assumed was about masturbation wasn't. But anyway, I'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> off air. Um, so, yeah, had had uh, Squeeze doing pulling muscles from a shell, and. Glenn Tilbrook, who I've actually seen like a number of times when he, he's been in Australia performing solo, uh, his voice still is as magic um, as it was back in the squeeze days. Unfortunately, he and, um, uh, he, he and um, uh, Chris Difford, to right. the best of my knowledge, though I might, um, maybe I'm wrong, but to the best of my knowledge, haven't written any new material. And what's the first album they do as a reunion? Uh, spot the difference. Spot the difference. Why? Why? I What's hate. the point? Buy a gr- they've already got like four or five greatest hits albums, guys. You know, but can yeah. I just say that I hate this new trend? I absolutely despise it mm. of bands doing re-recording albums where they go back and they redo their old material. Mm. Um, the one I want to punch in the face the most <laughs> is Art Aliakis. I don't think I know that. Of Everclear, the the guy okay. that, that will tell you that Everclear was as was as important a band in 1990 as Nirvana or Pearl Jam. Yep. It's like no, dude. You had two great, actually, maybe three great albums, and you've been kind of the sad guy who said, "Yeah, I used to be in a band once in the corner of the bar ever since." Mm. And they put out last year an album um, called "Return to Santa Monica." And it's dreadful. Right. And I, I can't say... What doesn't just, work? What doesn't work? Um, part of it is that... Everclear was, much like most bands that I like, are a certain configuration of people. Somewhere after Songs from American Movie, Art Aliak has finally pissed off the original members of Everclear. And so, yep. it's ever, so ever since it's been anybody who could stand to be in the room with Art and Art. Mm. And it's, there's like a sense of pretension. Like he, he, what the only other cover he does in this album is a cover of The Joker. Yep. So he's... He, does the Steve Miller song, and in the instrumental break, does this weird, twisted monologue about growing up. And I'm just sitting there going, shut up! (laughs) You're too old to be singing songs about growing up. Yeah, exactly. Shut up. It was fine when you were doing it in songs from an American movie when you were looking back on your formative years in AM radio, which is a glorious song. But now you're just like this angry, bitter old man, like yelling at people to get off his lawn. <laughs> uh, my wife always tells me that that's the sort of old man I'm going to turn into. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, actually, hold that thought because it'll be interesting to discuss uh, Ben Folds in that context and you know, mm-hmm. what Ben Folds 5 was. 
what Ben Folds became through his songwriting for his right. non-five projects and you know, what we perceive the new Ben Folds five project might actually be. So hold that thought. Um, okay. Any other albums that uh, you want to talk about? Or any other well, I haven't about? got a chance to listen to it any deeply, but I just got the new Pentatonics. Yes. Seven so I mean, uh, uh, this is, should be of interest to you because I know you're uh, in the acapella scene over in Australia. Yes. Pentatonics was the winner of the sing-off this year. Okay. Uh, five, it, it depresses me that they're just out of high school. <laughs> oh, God, I think, I, I know, I know a group down here, actually my group did a gig with um, uh, another really, really wonderful group who are all just, well, I, I think they're just barely out of uni. Um, oh, and, God. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, they've just split up, but they were... Uh, really, really, really fantastic. It's not for nothing that I celebrated my recent birthday by just by, by going to a karaoke place and singing I'm an adult now by the pursuit <laughs> of happiness. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing I love about Pentatonics and the reason why I knew they were going to be the winners of this past season of the sing-off so early on was that they had this way of just taking the song and twisting it in such a way, bringing it to a new place. Yep. Um, you've heard, I'm sure, some of the samples I posted on... Uh, the blog, Sing Along Scriptures, mm, mm. that I run. And I can't wait to get really deep into this thing because they've got a couple, they've got like a Nicki Minaj cover on there, and I can't stand that woman. Mm. I, I just, it, it's, she's, I think, indicative of what pop music here in the United States has become. Yep. Where everything is the beat, and it doesn't matter what surrounds that BPM. As long as they have that beat that the kids can like bop to. Yes. But um, I'm sure that it's going to be something wonderful when I listen because they find a way mm. to make everything engaging. So. Fantastic. Uh, I, I await so. your thoughts. Uh, no doubt you'll be blogging about that one. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. All right. Look, I'll just make a quick reference to a few things I've been listening to. Not much detail but um, uh, only I, I want to talk about yeah four albums uh, only one really new one um, now I unfortunately have this habit of finding out about artists you know years after the rest of the world but you know never mind about that as long as I finally catch up and I was in one of our great CD stores here in Melbourne and they just received in the new album from Fiona Apple, and they were playing it. Now I've got to, it'll take me half an hour to read the title, but bear with me. It's called "The Idler Wheel Is Wiser Than the Driver of the Screw, and Whipping Cords Will Serve You More Than Ropes Will Ever Do." Ah, uh, Fiona Apple, the weird little girl in high school that we all secretly had a crush on, but didn't want to say anything for fear of being laughed at. <laughs> and and now we regret it. Um, <laughs> But you don't oh, worry. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that, Thomas. Your your uh, own high school Fiona Apple's probably written a song about you somewhere, saying, <laughs> "Why didn't you approach me? You were the one I wanted." <laughs> so um, now, look. Somehow I, I doubt that. So I'm I'm coming onto uh, this album as I said, completely new to her music, whereas the rest of the world is probably you know, quite familiar with her her back catalogue. So what I've discovered is, you know, this album is like seven years in the making, or at least seven years since the last one that she put out. 
And so my first impressions of this is just, I love these really strange places that she takes her chord progressions. Um, I guess, you know, some of the reviews that I've read said that she does a lot of uh, jazzy stuff. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, it's certainly not your uh, straight out, out front uh, major or minor pop chord progressions. But it, it, it doesn't strike me as being very jazzy unless we talk about it being jazzy in the spirit of jazz, going to all sorts of unusual, discordant places. But um, it's not just uh, the melodies that she uses. And it sounds to me, I might be wrong, but it sounds to me like she's using an upright piano for a lot of these songs. And I think it really lends them something. Uh, but I, don't know, I, I need some more time. I only got the album uh, like about a week ago or so. And so I've had a chance to listen to it maybe two or three times. But... Um, I'm really you know, a devoted fan, so I might have to go delve into the back catalogue if this is indicative of what she's done in the past. It's yeah, really, really wonderful. She's and one of those artists, along with, I, I lump her together kind of with Tori Amos and a uh, more, more recent vintage, Regina Spector. Yep. Who I call like attractive yet disturbing. Mm. And I think part of the reason there's this, and here in the States, there's this like, large, bizarre cult that is built up around her. I think part of the reason is she just disappears for right. literally years at, on, on end. She's a J.D. Salinger. Yeah. And then every couple of years, she kind of emerges and says, oh, I've got something for you. Okay. Here. Well, um, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's interesting you mentioned Tori Amos because that was my first impression. But I brought the CD home, put it on, and my 14-year-old son, who I'm proud to say is a big music nerd, uh, he listened to it and said, you know, she reminds me more of Natalie from Pomplamoose. And I thought, oh, wow, I can completely see yeah. that. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. And, I mean, I don't know, maybe I ought to post something on their page and see whether, um, whether uh, Natalie's a fan. I imagine she is. But... Um, I was. I thought that was a great perspective, you know. From, I can't say out of the mouth of babes because you know he's he's fourteen years old. And, and My he's only big, worry and he's about bigger, her, he's bigger than me now, so. Right. <laughs> My only worry about about Fiona because I think that she is. I've been a fan of her since her first album came out here in the states, which is called Title. The first time, of course, and last time she ever decided. You know what? Maybe brevity is the uh, mother of invention. Mm. And I, my worry is always that she's going to go down in history as the girl who stripped on MTV. Oh, there you go. So I didn't know that. Yeah, really. she did a, a video, a very famous video called for, uh, I think it was her third single off the album. Yep. Called Criminal, where she strips down to her brawn panties. Right. And it's a shame because I think... I. To use to, to to go back to the, the Tori Amos analogy, it's like what would have happened if Tori Amos decided to study jazz as opposed to classical music. Mm. Because you're right, there's very much of a of an improvisational spirit, I think, in all four of her albums. Right. Uh, the the two that were the three that have been officially released and Secret Machine, which is the one that got leaked to the internet and the. Uh, the record label dropped because they said, "Oh, well, everybody's heard it." What's the point of us releasing a hard cop a copy? Mm. Um, but yeah, she's like this. And yet, God, do you want to see like a a real uh, album title? Look at that second one. Oh, that was a long one. I, I remember reading about that. There's another um, 
book. And I think it has the Guinness Book of World Records uh, title as the longest um, album title in the history <laughs> of publishing. Uh, and I, I wonder if she takes questions in interviews, why? Or, or the publicist says, no, don't ask her that question. And it's funny, when you, when you brought up Natalie from Pomplamoose, she's, when the rumor started circulating that there's this new album coming out, uh, one of the pictures, the, the, the recent uh, publicity pictures, was of her in one of those like long, kind of like hipster doofus uh, knitted caps mm. with the long strings and the, the ear flaps and the which look kind of like, I forget which, which uh, YouTube video that Natalie wore one of those in. And it's, it's just really funny that you brought that up because, of course, the connection is there. Yeah, yep. It'll be interesting to see if they uh, do one of Fiona's songs because Pomplamoose are famous for, uh, for their cover versions, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm. And actually, did you see the new Pomplamoose film clip? I can't remember what the name of the song was, but they've sort of gone techno. I didn't care for the song terribly much, but the film clip was hysterical. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I've not seen the film clip. I know that they just... I have a, a service that sends me, uh, you know, preview, you know, advanced copies yep. of stuff that people think I'd be interested in. And mm. a new Pomplamoose album did come recently. Okay. I haven't popped it in yet, so. Okay, well, yeah, search out this film clip. It's um, I can't remember the name of the song, um, but yeah, it was uh, techno, so not my, not my bag, baby, as Austin Powers would have said. <laughs> but um, but I love the film clip, and um, they've, they've still won me over. They're they're wonderful. Um, okay, so from Fiona Apple, uh, I've gone back a few years, and there's a reason I dragged this album out this is uh the way i should by iris dement now i think maybe it was about a week ago i was going through my dvd collection and um i saw you know that you know the first couple of seasons that we had there of uh, northern exposure and i thought you know what my kids will probably now be at an age where they'd enjoy this and i introduced them to you know the first few episodes of northern exposure season one and they both absolutely loved it. And I remember like back in the day when it was on TV every week, my wife and I would we'd pull the phone off the hook, make sure no one disturbs us during Northern Exposure time. So, you know, after watching those few episodes and getting all teary-eyed and reminiscent, and I recall that the last episode um, of the last season of Northern Exposure had Iris doing her song, Our Town. Now... The Way I Should doesn't have our town, and I don't actually have the album that's on, but um, you know, her name stuck in my mind back at the time. And uh, the, a, a popular radio show on one of our public radio stations, the guy was plugging away at this album, The Way I Should. So I picked this album up like you know, a few years back, and it sort of strikes me as being, in a way, it's her Steve Earle album. It doesn't sound musically quite like Steve Earle, but she gets a little bit political, and she... Goes on a few rants. I mean, all justifiable, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I call this the Steve Earle album, and uh, yeah, really wonderful stuff. It, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I know a few people who aren't necessarily great country fans, and certainly she's got what I know. I had to use the expression a typical country voice, whereas someone like Gillian Welsh, I don't think does, but. The music here is stuff that 
even if you weren't a straight out and out country fan you'd really enjoy this album uh, The Way I Should by Iris Demand I think it's from 1996 so I've been listening to that um, I've been listening a fair bit over and over because it's going to be the subject of uh, not the next Love That Album but a couple down the line Lost Lobos's wonderful album Key Code we're approaching the 20th anniversary of that marvellous album and I'm absolutely thrilled to the back teeth I have a very very special guest for uh, that episode but more as the time approaches so I've been listening to that and this is something that people will either never listen to my show again or they'll sort of salute me for having the guts to admit it Um, I bought this three CD collection uh, maybe about a year or two ago called Magic Moments the definitive Baccarat collection now for many years I'd gone and denied any respect or love or admiration for Burt Bacharach and I'd always gone and you know, been arrogant and said so. Now, I was, in, I was in one of our CD stores and I saw they had lots of copies of this album and I picked it up. It was like $15. I was having a look thinking, oh, well, let's see all the shit songs on this. And I looked, oh, yeah, well, that, that's, that's a good song. Oh, well, this one's actually not a bad one. Uh, and then before I knew it, out of about uh, an odd 70 songs, there were at least 30 that I thought, well, actually, they're not too bad. So I thought, for $15, um, 30 songs was going to be worth it. Uh, and make no mistake, there's still an awful lot on this that I don't like. But there's still some absolutely wonderful things. And I actually want to just quickly... Um, share one of the stories on here I don't remember if I've spoken about this on the podcast before but even if I had it really bears repeating Elvis Costello who who hangs around at the opening of an envelope I think he's just <laughs> um, but he wrote the liner notes for this and he tells a story about you know Bert went and recorded a few years ago an album of political songs or things that were annoying him and he writes this thing where, you know, uh, so, so Elvis writes, when Bert's conscience moved him to write his own lyrics for the At This Time album, he called me up to sing on Who Are These People, a particularly harsh critique of the way the world is headed. I asked Bert to give me a sense of the song. He said, things really have to change or we're all fucked. I said, what are the lyrics? He said, those are the lyrics. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, the version on, on the album has Elvis singing instead. Things really have to change before it's too late. Because, yeah, I, I would have liked to have heard him go a little bit more desperate on a Burt Bacharach song. Who you thought Burt Bacharach would go all punk on us? But there you go. Uh, the thing is, of course, is that, that Burt Bacharach is part of that last generation of the Brill Building. Yes. You know, those people like Carol Bear Sayer and um, who was pop who basically were pop music mm. through most of the 60s before we started moving away from people writing for artists yep. and the artists writing for themselves. Yes. And I think that there are a number of artists, including the artists we're going to be talking about today, mm. who take that Burt Bacharach aesthetic. I mean, you, you listen to a lot of Ben Folds, and mm. some of those harmonies are pure Bacharach. Well... You know, 
I mean, we weren't supposed to be going into the whole Ben Foles thing just yet, but I will Oops, make. Sorry. I will, no, 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 no. Please, no. I, I was because I was I was just saying that as a prelude because I was going to say something Ben Foldsian. Um, okay. My uh, my son and I were uh, driving somewhere in the car, and I had on the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Mesner, which was going to be the original subject of this podcast. But I'm glad we moved to songs for Silverman for for other reasons, which I'll get into later. Um, but uh, we're listening to. Uh, one of my two favourite songs on the album, in fact, probably my two favourite Ben Fold songs, period, uh, which are Mess and Don't Change Your Plans. And we get to, there's this bit in the middle of Don't Change Your Plans where there's this um, trumpet solo. And Max, my son, said to me, this sounds like a Burt Bacharach song. And I thought... Oh, you're right, it does. You're right. And it, it hadn't occurred to me to that point. I, you know, most fathers want their sons to be great scientists or, you know, politicians. Well, no, no one wants their son to be a politician, but they all want their son to achieve great things. I'm just pleased that my son is a music nerd uh, and he can pick up on that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, look, I, I figure if, if people who I love, like, you know, Folds and Isaac Hayes and... The Beatles and Elvis Costello can, you know, say out and out, "We love Burt Bacharach." Then I think, well, you know, who am I to deny right. you know, what he's well, done? Well, the, the album that we're about to talk about, hmm. uh, the there's a song on there which I consider my favorite Ben Folds song of all time, and because for personal reasons, which we'll get into. Yep. And I think that that has a very Bacharachian structure as well. Hmm. All right, well, look, since we're both so itching to talk about folds, what we'll do is we'll have a brief break and then come back and just talk stuff about Ben Folds. We won't talk about the album under Concerned Songs for Silverman just yet, um, well, except maybe in a more general sort of vein. But, um, yeah, look, we'll be back after this break and talk about all things Folds. And you're listening to Love That Album with Morris and Thomas. We'll be back in a minute. Don't touch that dial. And we're back from break. Morris here in Melbourne, Thomas over there in New York. You're listening to Love That Album. And the focus of this episode is talking about Ben Fold's album Songs for Silverman. Now, it occurred to me that all along there are two sides of Ben Fold's. There's what I would call Gentle Ben, who does songs like this. Where was I before the day that I first saw your lovely face? Now I see it every day. And I know that I am, I am, I am the luckiest. And then there's what I call Naughty Ben, who says things like this at his concerts. That's right, you're all going downtown. 
about you Thomas but I find that something of a dichotomy I mean on the one hand he writes these beautiful gentle love songs to ex-wives and 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 to his children so tender and then the next minute he's telling a whole audience that he's going to take them down the station house I, I don't know if you if you've watched this piece of video it's called freaking out um, and has him and the band dressed in uh, something that belongs in a S and M uh, party? You know the uniforms and the hats, and and uh, he's telling the whole audience that he's going to take them down to the station and you know, give them something of a cavity search. But he doesn't use those words. So there's there's the, it's a dichotomy. What do you make of it? But that's one of the reasons I love him as an artist, both solo and with the, the other two members of the Ben Folds Five. I've always been attracted to these people who are capable to, of writing these like sweet, beautiful little, little things that actually have the dark underlayer to them. Hmm. Um, hell, his what is still here in the States, his biggest single is this lovely little melody about going for an abortion. Yes. It's it's part of what, and I think also part of that, the the, the the clip that you did is part of that is just he's one of the one of a relatively few number of artists who are so enthusiastic when he about performing. He loves performing so much that I think he just loses control of himself. <laughs> um, but then again, you've not seen the MySpace session. No, I haven't. I, I am aware of. Um there being someone who falls down a, a, a balcony or... Yeah, which a, a, is actually setting up... Was that staged or is that real? It was staged. Okay. It's, it's a weird performance, first of all, because it's, it's ostensibly in support of Songs for Silverman. It's done in the same studio that he recorded it in. But he only does two songs from the album. And there are these weird theatrical moments. Like, yes, there's this staged guy falling off a balcony, which actually sets up the final gag in the show where Ben himself climbs up on the balcony and falls off. Okay. Um, and then there's that bizarre interlude where he introduces a friend of his called Titler. Oh, yes, yes, I've seen the photo. Yeah, uh, who then sings a song called I Cross the Line. He's got that weird, this weird kind of little boy smuttiness. yes. About, about him when he gets on stage, where he's just like, oh, look at this, look at what I could do. You know? mm, yeah, yeah, he, he certainly, um, I don't know, I, I want to sort of go quoting that line out of Life of Brian, you know, he, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. I imagine you know, Mrs. Folds is you know, screaming that out to the public at large, because, you know, you, you see him, and like, I've seen some of the footage on, on YouTube of him with the acapella groups. This is like pre-sing-off, at least I think it was pre-sing-off, yeah. where he put out that album of collegiate acapella groups. 
and he certainly seems very, very encouraging uh, with a lot of them. So, you know, you see this really nice, sweet mentor guy. And I guess in a way, like what he did at that uh, Japanese concert, maybe it's something, maybe he's a big fan of Andy Kaufman. It's, you know... Not that I mean, he finds that he really believes, I'm going to take you down to the station house and we're going to stick a truncheon where the sun don't shine. But it's, you know, he wants to see how far can I go with this? And he's dragged yeah. off stage at the very end of the, of the number by uh, the rest of the band. Um, he, just, he just collapses there after saying you know, one million times, Give me more, sir! Which is um, <laughs> very, very strange. But, um, yeah, look, I, I guess I'd agree I'm rather attracted to that dual side of him. But I'd love to know. I'd love to ask him what motivates you. Is it, you know, you, are you playing psychological experiments on your audience? Uh, what is it that's going on in your mind? Um, I, I, another thing I wanted to bring up, the, the last album that he put out... Um, uh, Lonely Avenue? Lonely Avenue, which had all the lyrics by Nick Hornby... I mean, mm -hmm. Nick, it really, it could have been Fold's own lyrics. I can see why Hornby was attracted to Ben Fold's as a songwriter because there's no great stretch of the imagination to sort of think, yeah, really, if I didn't know Nick Hornby had written them, I would have thought, oh, yeah, yeah it's you know, more typical Ben Fold's lyrics. And one of the things where I found myself a little bit nervous about doing this podcast is because of the opening song on that album, A Working Day, which sings about the multiple stages of a musician. Uh, it, or the whole thing, basically, it could be Ben Fold's own story like in one and a half minutes, or it could be you know, any great rock story in one and a half minutes. So he comes up saying, look, you know, he gets a bit of confidence. Geez, I think I can do this. I'm not really half bad at it. You know, my sister thinks I'm great. Then the next one, he's thinking, you know, really, I'm, I'm, in the words of the song, I'm fucking cool. Uh, and then he, you know, uh, it, it, he's, uh, he's going around all completely arrogant. And then at the end of the song, he goes into this, all these self-doubts. And then the final line is a clincher, hey, hey, it's another working day. And it's not like the lifespan of the artist. It's you know, just another, another day in the life of the songwriter. But there's this line that really had me worried about doing this podcast. And it's, some guy on the net thinks I suck. And he should know he's got his own blog. So we're a couple of guys, we're a couple of guys who think he's great and we should know we have our own podcast so i don't know if he's gonna turn around and if he finds out that we've done this whether he's gonna come back at us and say well, you know what else i think it is what's that um you know he's grew up in the deep south yep. and i've always said that america is kind of unique in the world and that we actually pride ourselves on being idiots <laughs> It, it, it's weird. It's like, you know, it's, you're not supposed to aspire to anything other than being just a regular guy, you know? Mm. And I mean, try to picture him growing up down the South, which is even like, it's like even that sort of attitude is, is amplified by a hundred. Mm. Where you're too good for us. You want to be doing that thinking stuff. <laughs> And he's obviously been, I think, smart, the smartest guy in the room for a long, long time. And 
maybe some of this naughty Ben, nice Ben thing is acknowledging the fact that in some little part of him, he's still yearning to be just that good old boy working on his car up in blocks. Mm. You know, chewing on his chaw and spitting on the ground. I mean, Lonely Avenue, if I remember correctly, the next song after that is that song where he's identifying with Sarah Palin's son-in-law. Yeah, that's uh, it's a couple of songs in, yeah. Yeah, he is talking about that. I, I remember actually listening to um, uh, I think it was Sound Opinions and they were tearing this album apart. I mean, both of them said um, that, that neither of them were Folds fans to begin with, but yeah. uh, I think one of them said, um, I don't think I've heard a worse album by him than this. And the other one said, no, I object to that. He's done many worse albums than this. Um, but in particular, there is a worse album than, than, than that one. Look, uh, that's actually an album I, I, it took yeah. a while to get into, but I do like it a lot. But I think they... That were hanging shit on him as an artist. I think there's a lot right. of what the album was on about. But it, why I'm bringing that up is they were talking about that song. Oh, actually, so not the one about uh, Sarah Palin's um, future son-in-law, but right. the, the, the one about Doc Pomus. And they saw that as incredibly patronizing. I, I didn't read it that way. I, I don't know what they were thinking, but you know, where do you stand on that? I mean, because I got a whole lot of respect for for Pomus as a songwriter, and you know, surely, well, not so much Folds, but you know, Nick Hornby as his lyricist, and you know, I guess Folds by proxy uh, would have had you know immense I respect. Look at Lonely for Avenue. I think you and I both agree that probably his weakest uh, album has a whole throughout his entire career, both with the the, the Ben Folds Five and mm. solo artist, was way to normal. Yes. And in preparing for this, I was listening to, I listened to, yesterday, I listened to songs for Silverman and then listened right after to Way to Normal. Mm. And that, that album is such a mess. And I, I thought that Lonely Avenue was him reaching out to Nick Hornsby, reaching out to somebody that he thought had a similar aesthetic mm. to kind of rein him back in, if you will. Okay. To give him more of a, more of a structure to work with. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, okay. No, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. You, you. And I think that I do think it's a much better album. It, it's more of an oddity, mm. kind of like that. Uh, was it uh, "Death of a Ladies Man" that Leonard, Leonard Cohen album that was done by Phil Spector? Okay, yes. Um, but it's definitely a stronger album than "Way to Normal" because it is. I think it, it definitely brought him back from that edge he was on. Where he he was just I, I think he he was in danger of losing a lot of fans I think because that that, that oh yeah look anyway. it it certainly wasn't it certainly wasn't maybe as um, cohesive a statement like songs for Silverman which we're going to talk about yeah or um, uh, rock in the suburbs which uh, I think had preceded that and even even yeah. an album like uh, uh, Sunny Speed Photographic which was just basically a whole lot of uh, iTunes released EPs put together on right. a physical medium. Even though they're all separate projects, even that sounded more cohesive yeah. as a whole than Way to Normal did. Um, and yet, in some ways, Lonely Avenue sounds like uh, maybe something in the spirit of Way to Normal, but with just better songs. Well, it, it sounds more like, whereas Way to Normal is just this random mess of crap. Um, 
Lonely Avenue comes off more. Where if you, you consider songs songs as, you know, for Silverman and Rocking the Suburbs and Ronald Meester and uh, Forever and Ever Amen as novels, if you will, mm. where there is a definite cohesive identifying worldview in each of them. Uh, Lonely Avenue is a short story collection. Yes. And there's still that same thing. Whereas, way to normal, there's all these different voices going on that, that Ben is channeling. Lonely Avenue is what it's identifiably one voice, even though he's trying different uh, styles, if you will. Mm. Different avenues. Some Lonely Avenues. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I wish I hadn't said that. Never mind. Um, Look, I quoted I quoted a song at the beginning, so yeah. Well, there you go. We're we're, we're all we're up one even. Let's never do yeah. that again. Um, what was I going to say? Now, just sort of change tack a little bit here. But the question I want to ask you yeah. is, what do you think in terms of do Do you think he's made a, a progression? Maybe not so much progression in his songwriting uh, abilities, but do you think that any of the albums that he's made without the five could have been made with the five? I mean, was it a thing that the guys just decided we've got other things to do with our lives or Ben decided I want to work with different people? Because, uh, I mean, like, I listen to those albums and regardless of whether they're great or not, certainly Songs for Silverman in particular, I think, oh, is an album exactly. that could have made with the five. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's funny because I have, as I think you and I discussed before, I actually splurged and bought the quote-unquote collector's edition yes. of Songs for Silverman when it came out, which is uh, made up like a little hardbound book. I've got it in my hand right now. I, ha I have seen it, but I'd already gone and bought the regular edition. Yeah. I'm not going to buy it a second time. But I'll be and it's basically, the hardbound book is basically the, you know, the, the liner notes and such. Yep. And there's also a DVD pl uh, at, in the back which is a sort of 40 minutes making of, and he talks about how he's never been comfortable with anything other than piano, bass, and drums. Mm. And that's why I think the backup group that he used for Songs of Silver is something that somebody that they've been, he, people that he'd been together with for a long time because they were his touring band for uh, Suburbs. Yes. And that's why I think it feels more like uh, it could have been a, could have been the next album after uh, Ronald Meester. Yes. Certainly he goes into some dark territory you know, mm -hmm. on Songs for Silverman and Ronald Mesner is, you know, it's certainly not a son of whatever and ever are men. That, that, right. is a, that album has uh, some uh, very introspective moments. I mean, because like the first two albums we see Ben Fall. I mean, there's obviously, you know, like as you mentioned before, there's Brick. And there's songs like yeah. Selfless, Cold, and Composed. But basically, we're talking about a bit of a prankster, a bit of a finger pointer. The, you know, the He's guy much more 1,000, uh, one, you know, one, one angry, angry dwarf, dwarf and 2,000 solemn faces. And, yeah. Uh, he, he song for the Dumb, Kate. Um, and and even, even songs like Boxing, which is, you know, a, a more introspective song. Even that's got a touch of the smartass about mm -hmm. it. Um, and, you know, Reinhold Mesner, I've got to confess, when I first heard Reinhold Mesner, because I was expecting something more in the vein of whatever and ever, I mean, I listened to it the first time and I thought, nah, don't like it. And I didn't give it another listen for a long, long time. And I don't know what drew me back to it, but I put it on and I, I, I hit myself thinking, 
this is an utter masterpiece. This is, you know, if, if for nothing else, for the songs I mentioned before, Mess and Don't Change Your Plans are my two favourite fold songs, period. And yet, I still sort of feel that, I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a wonderful, I mean, it has some unusual moments. There's even, I think one song has a bit of a Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Movement <laughs> moment on it. And, and yet, possibly because the first five, I mean, uh, look, I don't know if it's ever, it's, they've probably got a vinyl pressing of it somewhere, but, you know, I think after Army would have been like a great place for side one to win and the, the first half of it and the second half of it, side one and side two, uh, really strike me as two equally wonderful but very different pieces of work. Whereas Songs for Silverman sounds a whole lot more cohesive um, right. across the board and that's why at, when you suggested that you were probably more comfortable doing Songs for Silverman that I had no hesitation in saying, all right, let's do that. And I, I'm glad that you made that suggestion. As much as I love Reinhold Mesner, but Songs for Solomon certainly seems a lot more consistent, a lot more cohesive, rather than it's one work rather than two works. And another album, I was just sort of thinking about this the other day, that it is a, a good comparison to it. Uh, but it, it sort of strikes me as like Beck's album Sea Change. That's one of the great right. breakup albums. And yet, on this album, he publicly goes and says, you know, he declares this as, um, uh, maybe not a love letter, but he, he says high things about his wife, Frally, and she's got great ears. And, uh, he well, I mean, you look at the, the final yet, page of... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. I, I was, was going to say, he, he's saying all these wonderful things about his wife, and yet this sounds like a breakup album. And eventually... Maybe it, was, maybe it was prophetic, but I don't know what he said on the DVD or on the edition that you have. Okay. I just want to read out the, the little thing. This is like on the last page of the book. Yep. My wife Fraley contributed to this album in every way. The lady has ears. There's not a title for what she does. It's too important. Yep. Thanks, Fraley, and thanks to everyone who helped in any way making this record, which includes everyone who listens to my music or attends my shows. I contend that you can almost look at the this and Way to Normal as one album. I think he knew it was over. Yes. Uh, when he was writing Songs for Silverman. Right. I think that he knew that, that this, this relationship was poisonous. And it's weird watching uh, the making of documentary because he pretty talks about some of the songs that I think are kind of prophetic of that. Mm. You to thank, uh, landed and the such. He talks about well, I had this friend, and he never goes into details about this friend. Mm. <laughs> but, it's, but it's him, yeah. Yeah, generally, you know, it, 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 I think any culture when you start talking about a friend, friend. <laughs> it's because you're afraid to because she's doing all the the videotaping throughout this documentary. Oh she, uh, oh, she was doing it. Okay. She's doing all the all the videotaping. So when she talks about, when he's talking about a friend, it's like, well, I don't want to tell her right now. <laughs> I don't want to go all loud family on her at this moment. Yeah. Now, look, I think he, there was some, he, he received a little bit of bad press in Australia because we thought, what? He's dumped his Australian wife? He's not going to be living in Adelaide anymore? He's <laughs> run off with a yoga teacher? <laughs> ben! You horrible, nasty piece of shit. 
writing a patronising song. All of a sudden, Adelaide became a patronising song rather than a sincere song of, I really like it here. I really want to live here. And, you know, we, and, you know so you know, he became a bit of a, you know, got a bit of a bad name in the local press, but I think, I think we've forgiven him. So um, before we sort of go you know, more formally into Silverman per se, um, just maybe one or two other points I want to sort of cover about. Um, last year, okay, so as, uh, oh, sorry, as you pointed out, I think on your blog, and that, that was the first I'd heard of it, he's actually recorded a new album, which is going to be out in September and absolutely... I don't even think it has a name yet. No. No, I think that who knows that might be uh, like a. It is you, all recorded. If you he, contribute enough money to the Kickstart program, you might get yeah. that privilege. Um, but uh, that's really very exciting, and I, I've not quite made up my mind yet about the song that he's released for public consumption in an unmixed right. form. What's it called? Uh, Just do it. Right. But you know, I, I'm prepared to sort of admit it might take a few more. As I said, Reinhold Mesner didn't grab me the first time I heard it, so. It'll be interesting to hear in the context of the rest of the album. But um, last year he went and released, uh, depending whether you bought the one CD or the three CD version, a, uh, I wouldn't call it a greatest hits, but a retrospective. So there was a one album of previously released stuff, an album of live stuff, an album of rarities. And I went and bought the three CD edition. And it was crazy. It was, I, I think, only $2 more than the one CD edition, at least here anyway. So it was a no-brainer. But there were three Ben Folds Five songs on it that were ostensibly new. And one of them was House, which right. the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, yeah, he's done this sort of thing before. But I listened to it over and over and over again, and I think it's just as wonderful as anything that he's done in his back catalogue. I love it. Right. What, what's, what's your thoughts on House? Is it something that grabbed you? It's... I think part of it is, is the joy of... It's kind of like... When uh, you know another another band that I'm a big fan of is the Replacements. Yes, I uh, agreed. Same here. And when they put out that that retrospective with Rhino, they did those two songs. Mm. And I think the you know Pool and Dive, and what was the other one? But but it was the excitement of my gosh, something you never thought you would see again in the wild out there. Mm. And I haven't given it as many listens as I should. Right. Um. But it, it's still in that kind of like, wow, it's something out in the wild. I never thought, it, and I'm going to get more of this. Mm-mm. You know, um, and I, I have to give uh, the new song a couple of more listens before I can, I can say anything definitive. Yeah. I mean, look, the, thematically, I thought it was interesting because he's still, and rightly so, I believe, that mm-hmm. he's um, pursuing... Uh, subject matter, which is you know way different from what he would have done in the early days of mm-hmm. Ben Folds Five. He's you know he's in his forties now, and you know you were talking a, a bit before about was it was it the DBs who you said right. who haven't grown up, and I remember when Rock in the Suburbs came out, the local music press really, as far as I can recall, took it to town. Because I said, you know, this is not the guy who you know, said fuck you to the establishment and his whatever and ever are men. He's, he's become suburban. He's become bland and boring. And I didn't see that at all. I mean, he was in a no-win situation. If he tried to, if, as a you know, mid-30s 
Ben Folds trying to write the same sort of songs that he wrote as a 20-year-old. He'd be told, you know, get a grip, you're, you know, you're not the young man you were. But if he tries to write songs that are more relevant to his life at that time... And I, I really I think there was still something of that... Um, finger up to the world thing. I mean, you're yeah, rocking the suburbs. is a great piss take, the, you know, the song. Um, and it's, it's basically him looking at Corn and going, really? Yep. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, look, I, I, I think he's still got some of that naughty streak. And, yeah. But he's obviously got a lot of other things. You know, he's got his, his two kids. And, uh, look, I put a post on Facebook on the Love That Album page a few days ago. Uh, someone had gone and taken some video footage of him uh, playing in a wonderful theatre in Melbourne called the Palais Theatre. Uh, has him playing Gracie. And I, I just think I made the comment, you know, damn, I wish I had the talent to write a song like that. I mean, damn, I wish I had the talent to write a song. I write arrangements, a cappella-wise, right. of, of songs, but I can't write something original to save my life. But if I could, if I had the if the magic genie came and said right I tell you what we will change history so you can claim a song as your own that would be up for strong consideration <laughs> I, I just I love it you know because I, I, I th- you know, he has this obvious love of his kids and it's not maudlin it's not oh look at, anyway we're, we're going to talk about it because it's on Songs for Silver right. isn't it Song okay so it I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to preempt it alright so look probably at this stage uh, would be another good time to take a break. And okay. when we come back, we'll talk about um, Songs for Silverman, uh, track by track. And uh, I'd be very interested to hear what you have to say, because especially, you know, besides your own thoughts, you'll have had a little bit of insight from uh, what Ben has had to say from that DVD that mm-hmm. came with the package, which might mean that everything I've written is a load of shit. But anyway, we'll, we'll wait and see. So uh, you're listening to Love That Album with Morrison Thomas. We'll be back in just a moment. When the worries of the world have got you feeling down And you're looking for some music that is pretty good Tokyo's number one music station 76.1 It's usually pretty good And we're back from break. Morris here in Melbourne, Thomas in New York, Thomas from the Better in the Dark podcast uh, is joining me on this episode of Love That Album to talk about Ben Fold's album Songs for Silverman. Now, I'm trying to recall, what was, what year was this out? Uh, I think two, it's 2005. 2005, yep. Um, so, the thing that one gets when you look at the front cover of this album I mean, you know that this is going to be something of a dark album. The front cover is a sort of sepia uh, picture. He's taking a photo of himself in the mirror. So he's already making a statement that he's turning a lot of his songwriting in on himself. Whereas, I like his. notice, by the way, that he's got a backpack. He does too. He do- oh, I hadn't noticed that. I'm looking at that now. You're right. This is this is all playing into my theory. Oh no! Yeah, look, I, I'm 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 fully with you. I'm fully with you there. And and yet, oh, how could you lead Frally on, Ben? Oh, dear. oh, look, I shouldn't hang too much shit. Just in case he hears this and he writes me a nasty note and he sings 
write some nasty song. He might, he might show think, up here in person to kick my ass. He might. That look, you know, he's. I, I actually wanted to. I've been neglecting to mention he's. I'm very excited. He's coming to Australia, um, you know, which is his second home. Uh, but at the moment, he's not. Play, well, he hasn't announced any sideshows. He's playing on a festival called the Harvest Festival. There's a Melbourne date, a Sydney date, and. I think an Adelaide date, which would be only fair considering he's an honorary uh, Adelaide resident, or was. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see if he does a sideshow, because being an old fart, I don't think I could hang out for the whole day at a festival. Although, the other headline act on the day is Beck, and I haven't seen Beck, so it might be worth my while. But anyway, look, I'll wait and see. Um, and certainly it's a, an over-18s event, and my son wants to come, so... We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But um, yes, uh, if he comes to town, say, come on, Ben, go kick my ass, or, but don't do anything with the truncheon. So the album opens up um, with a song called Bastard. Close your eyes, close your ears, young man. You've seen and heard all an old man can. Spread the facts on the floor like a fan Throw away the ones that make you feel bad Kids today are getting old too fast They can't wait to grow up so they can kiss a mask They get nostalgic about the last ten years Before the last ten years have passed So why you gotta act like you know when you don't know It's okay This is, you know, Ben Folds the Naughty Boy. Um, mm -hmm. But it sets the tone perfectly, I think, for yeah. what is, you know, predominantly uh, a ballad-like structure on this very introspective album. And the song, I like, it's told from two points of view, uh, a father and son. Um, every, every other album, I think, is started off of his in an up-tempo or dramatic way, um, even you know Reinhold Mesner, which is you know, not a, um, it, it doesn't start off with something like One Angry Dwarf, but narcolepsy is still very right. uh, dramatic and very musical theatre um, yeah. in, its, in its approach. Uh, and while you know a lot of other Ben Folds five albums, they mix humour and observation with finger pointing. This album has some humour, though very little, at least I think, and goes to some very dark places. You get the feeling, as you know, we've already discussed, he's fairly morose at the time of his writing, and I like your theory with the bag on the front cover. And, um, and even right from those first few chords, that kind of like, dun, 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 where it's almost like he's creeping to the stage. Oh, wow. Actually, look, I have a, I have a theory about well, maybe not so much a theory, but I've gone and written a list. I can't remember where I've <laughs> written it, but we'll get to it. Where there, he, he, that song, the structure is of him playing these piano chords as crotchets. And I think just about every Folds album has one or two songs where he's playing that dom, 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 right. dom. And uh, there, there's like another song on this album, which we'll get to, uh, Trusted, which right. has him playing that dom, dom, the, 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 the crotchet 
feel. It, it's something that he obviously sees a lot of drama in. Um, now, on, on this album, there's you know, the, the back and forward for a couple of verses between the father and son, but this is no Cat Stevens' father and son right. song. This is, you know, he's, he's sort of having a go at his father. You know, you got smaller as the world gets big. The more you know, you know, you don't know shit. The whiz man will never fit you like the whiz kid did. Um, and yet the retort from the father is close your ears, clo- uh, close your eyes, close your ears, young man. You've seen and heard all that an old man can. Uh, spread the facts on the floor like a fan. Throw away the ones that make you feel bad. So the, the two of them are having this go at each other. Right. Um, and it's, I mean, you wonder, I mean, I, I don't know anything. What was Fold's relationship with his father? Or was he just writing a character study? Mm-hmm. What I think this is about is about the disillusion you have when you get older told from two different perspectives. Yes. The perspective of the, of the, young, of the young, of the son coming towards that point mm. and the point of the father receding from it. Yes. And trying to warn his son, okay, you think that now, but wait till you get to be my age. Yes. I think sort of by the end of the song, by the time... Um, uh, like they get to, but they get to the the time uh, where he's the funeral. He, he got smaller as the world got big. The more he knew, he knew he didn't know shit. And you can almost he, gone is the the vitriol of the first verse, and you can almost sort of see him, the character singing with tears in his eyes. He's still singing. Yeah, he, he, he sounds like he, he's. Being dismissive, or he sounds like he's being dismissive because that's the line that he's taken to this point, but you don't actually think he'll, he really believes it to that point. Or if he does, he's, he's saying it more with regret rather than right. dismissiveness. Well, um, I think we can both say we've all had time, things we've wanted to say to our father when he was alive. I don't know if your father's still alive. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, he's, no okay. he's not, no. I mean, my, my father passed away some time ago. And I, I, some of it is just saying, you know, you were right. This is, this is what happens in the world. And I think that you have this, the young man in the, the narrative of the song taking on the father's place as the, at the father's funeral going, yeah, you were right. Mm, yes. I'm the whiz man now. I'm, I, and I'm going to have to have the same conversation with my son mm. down the line. And hopefully I can convey this better than, than, than he'll understand it better than I did. Mm. But more likely than not, it'll be the same problem because yes, exactly. every, generation, every generation thinks that they know better than the previous one. There's a, um, there's a great store in um, uh, like, uh, somewhere, I think, in, in the uh, uh, Queen Victoria Market here in the city in Melbourne, and they have a sign... Uh, at the back of it that says kids leave home now while you still know everything <laughs> oh I just I, I, I had tears in my eyes and, and I'm thinking oh gosh is, is that what's going to happen with my kids I like to think not because they're, they're, they're wonderful but anyway I'm getting all I'm getting all gawky here I'm not supposed to be doing that we're talking about Ben Folds the, the, the great musical jester the great musical smart aleck so anyway so that song has um, but yeah, look, I, I agree. He's projecting to the future in that last verse when his kids may have 
the same attitude when they're old. But it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see what uh, uh, Gracie and Lewis have to say um, you know, at a at a similar sort of age. Um, and but the thing I, I like, we haven't talked musically about it yet, but well, well a little bit I guess with the crotches, but it, it's deceptively simple sounding just with that you know, crotchet dum 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 dum, but. I, I suspect that he probably had to go through he had to hack through a lot of complexity to get it sounding musically as as good as this you know it, it takes a lot of work to get something sounding simple right. and effective you know sim, uh, simple is not simplistic um, and there you know I like as well. He throws in occasional time signature changes, so you know right. it's mainly in four four. But when he sings that line, the more you knew, you knew; the more you know, you know you don't know shit. So he's going from four four, I think, to a three four. Uh, That's kind of the way that a conversation uh, that, that that a an argument yep. can have different changes in the temperament, if you will. Yes, of the arguers. And he, well, so he's doing this. He's conveying that musically. You feel, you feel a bit uh, when you hear this as a listener. That musical change of tempo for one bar throws you a bit out of kilter, just like a real argument would. Exactly. Mm. All right. Look, let's go on to um, the next song. It's "You to Thank." I accuse you, Fraley. <laughs> now, this is probably the most up-tempo song on the album because um, this is, you know, I think I might have mentioned before, is an album that's got songs that are more ballad in tempo, right. very dramatic, but more. Uh, th- there's no rocking songs on this album. Uh, this is probably as close as it gets, uh, and right. this really above most other songs sounds like Ben Folds 5 would have a field day with this and it'll be interesting to see as the tour progresses the show that you pointed me out to on YouTube had the Folds 5 only doing stuff for those first three albums but I'd be interested to see if as the tour progresses whether they pick up Rock in the Suburbs material Songs for Silverman material because this really in their hands would just it would completely work and I and incidentally, this is one of the two songs where he refers to a friend of mine. Ah, uh, okay. Yep, yep. So, well, I mean, if that's the case, then this song, which we'll talk about story-wise, in a sec, sounds like he had regrets about the marriage right from the word go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, look, before you, know, you mentioned what he said on the, um, on the DVD, I'd gone, uh, in my notes I've gone written here, I've said, you know, I'm confused, this album, you know, has... Uh, a number of songs about relationships that have gone wrong, things that have never been, and yet, how could you put yourself in that much of a state with that many songs of um, marital discordance? 
not writing a single love song to your spouse who you write more in a respectful sort of way in the liner notes than in any sort of love tones. He, I mean, he's gone and written a song on this album in dear love to his daughter. He's gone and even written a song out of love to a songwriter who he'd never met. But there's no Frally songs expert, about yeah. Frally. And, and I'm sort of thinking, well, he, he writes about respect, but this song, You To Thank, is the start of really what gets me scratching my head thinking, well, you know, uh, is, this, is this a sea change album? Uh, is this like Beck's sea change? He's writing rather bitterly. So he... he uh, and it's, it's interesting, I think, that it's probably not by any accident that this song is in 3-4 time. It's, right. He's writing about you know, things didn't work out from the time of the wedding, so he's writing in the pace of a wedding waltz. Um, and you know, there's this awkward realisation in the lyric he sings about after the buzz was wearing off that the marriage in Nevada was a mistake. Yep. Um, and it sort of reminds me of a song that you might not... I'm not sure how familiar you are with um, Australian songwriter Paul Kelly but he wrote a really great song uh, called I Can't Believe We Were Married. And right. I, like this song, uh, You To Thank, has been singing about the marriage never worked. It, he can't understand why they got married, but in the Paul Kelly song, he's singing from the perspective, uh, it's all in hindsight because, you know, at the time, uh, you know, they had lots of great sex, they had lots of great drugs together, um, but in hindsight, when they meet each other in the street and they, their, uh, their responses to each other are measured are polite and, and she says to him, oh, well, give my best regards to your folks and your family. And he's singing, you know, in hindsight, I can't work out how we ever got married. But at the time, it seemed great. Whereas he's saying here, look, we knew that this was never going to work right from the get-go. You know, all, all I remember is all these gifts that were piled high and I don't remember anything about us actually enjoying our wedding day or anything beyond that. And then when I first heard this, I had thought, because, you know, I've been part of wedding parties before. Yes. And there's so much, and you've been married, so you know what it's like, where there's so much of this rush and so much of these things to do that it becomes kind of like a blur. And I thought that's what this song was about initially. How you do this for you, you do this ceremony not so much for the two of you, but for all your family and friends who want the big spectacle. Oh, that's a given. <laughs> However, looking at the DVD, the making of DVD again, and he's talking about a friend of mine was getting married, and about Southern culture, how from a very early age, there's an expectation that you're going to go out and get married. As like, when, before, when you're still a teenager, your aunts and uncles are going, so where are you fixing to get married? Yep. Um, but I think, yeah, this is exactly, especially in the context of listening to this album a couple dozen times over the past month and a half. And looking at this DVD and looking at the other extant material surrounding it, it's like he knew this was a mistake. He did it for the reasons of his culture, of the, the culture of his, of his youth. Mm. You find somebody, you get married. Yes. And he realized from the moment, like, this is not what I should have done. Right. 
So, all right. Um, uh, was there anything I had else that I was going to mention about that? Um, oh, I, I, what I got written? Uh, uh, yeah, look, you listen to this song and you know that inside a year or two, even before you get to the end, you know, the couple will give up the pretense, divide the presents, go their own way. And, you know, pretty much as, you know, he indicated in that interview about his friend you know this is yeah. exactly what happened um, but I, I just I think I can't remember if you mentioned this on air or off air before but you were saying that what you enjoyed about this album was there's or was it this album was it Lovely Avenue oh gosh I'm losing it I'm losing the track now. but there's a whole lot of little uh, stories little novellas maybe if mm-hmm. you will and he that's why I thought you know when he got to Lonely Avenue Nick Hornby, his lyrics, he follows the same sort of thing with writing these short stories. And yet, you know, Ben Folds is no slacker with the lyrics. And songs like this, um, it's, it's really very clever. He conveys the mood and conveys the, um, uh, the, the, the tone uh, so well. He, he, you know his character, you know his story. And you're sort of frightened, thinking, "Oh my gosh!" You know, he's he's told us this one thing about his wife on the cover, but you know, we're realizing this before she does. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, it's um, yeah, really well composed, I think. Uh, and, and the song—it's very frantic. As I, I was saying at the start of this uh, portion, of the description of the song, that this is the closest that we get to a rock song. It's still very ballad-based, you know, very heavily piano, right? Uh, piano front and center, um, but by um, even though it's in a waltz time when he gets to the chorus it's sounding frantic he's he's playing these uh, um, playing these broken chords uh, repeatedly over and over again and like his um, mind is going 15 different places at once yeah exactly trying to trying to get this one coherent thought out of the way which is that this was a mistake yes completely all right we'll move on to um, the next song on the album which is Jesus Land which I contend had to be here Take a walk Out the gate you go and never stop Past all the stores and wig shops A quarter in a cup for every block And watch the buildings grow Smaller as you go Down the tracks Beautiful McMansions on a hill together it would have been thunderingly obvious what he was saying yep completely um the thing is when i read when i first heard this and i wasn't sort of like listening to the lyrics particularly close um Mm -hmm. i just thought okay oh this is going to be a typical uh songwriter's rant against christianity and Mm -hmm. in the end it, it it's not that i mean maybe a little bit but it's it you know again something about the bible belt but it's um his rant, I guess, uh, against it's suburbia. Not about, 
maybe not a rant, but it's his take on cookie cutter suburbia. And I mean, look, he's not. He's far from being the first songwriter who's done this. And I, I, I guess I have sort of mixed feelings when songwriters go against suburbia and its supposed blandness. Now, one of my favourite songwriters who I've mentioned before and love that album is Richard Thompson, and I can't wait to go tackling oh, one of his Thompson. albums. Now, he did an album called Mock Tudor, which, oh, God, yes. um, he, which is his series of tales about mm-hmm. suburbia. And I think he even makes some uh, statement on, on the uh, liner notes about, did you know that in Australia, 90% of the people there live in the suburbs? You know, can you imagine that? And I sort of thought, well, you know, all nice and well for, you know, you songwriters who've gone and made this conscious decision that you want to do something great and you want to take on the world and you want to play great music. You don't want to do the nine to five thing. But guess who's buying your records? Guess who's coming to see your concerts? It's the people from the suburbs. It's, um, you know, don't go biting the hand that feeds you. And that's why I, I, I love the song. I love Jesus Lane coming back to folds. I love the song and I see what he's saying and I can agree with some of it. And yet I sort of see it as something of biting the hand that feeds him. Well, here's how I look at it. It's not an attack on Christianity, but on a certain kind of Christianity. Yep. Now, once again, here in America, we've got this whole, I mean, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania has pretty much become a Jesus, a Christianity-themed amusement park. Yes. You go there, and you go to special shows, you know, where they have musicals that are Christian-based. Okay. Uh, there are a number of places throughout the country. I think the first one of these kind of like Jesus-themed theme parks mm. was in the Deep South. And I think that this song is about Jesus waking up one day, mm. taking a walk, literally taking a walk and seeing, no, wait, I didn't stand for that. Mm-hmm. I didn't stand for that either. And just breaking down on somebody's lawn and going, how did you get this all wrong? Yes. Why did you? you know, that's not what I meant at all. Mm. In this, in this world, and uh, he talks a bit about the about how so much of what people say about Jesus in America is stuff that Jesus himself would not have said. Yeah. I th- I, th- I think I mean look, the the way how I saw this. I mean, maybe there's something of that in this, but I saw it as a, a broader, um, a broader swipe because you know he, he's singing about um, uh, McMansions on the hill. Yeah. Uh, although, mind you, yes, there is the element of Jesus taking a walk in this uh, cookie cutter uh, community and you know, billboards quoting things you never said. You right. hang your head and pray for Jesus' land. So there is something of that, but I, as I say, I see it more as a, an overall broad statement on... Um, but then you look at the last... You look at the last stanza here, you know. Yep. Parking lots, cracked and growing grass. You see it all from the offices of the farms. Crosses flying high above the malls. Yeah, okay, yeah, point taken. Where he's... Just, I think that it's not that... Jesus has the breakdown in this song. It's not because he's in the middle of suburbia. But because he can look from those those McMansions on the hill mm. and see his name being used to sell toiletries and you know 
McMall stuff. Yes, yes. As opposed to things that he wanted people to, to buy, like brotherhood and love mm -hmm. and respect for your fellow man. Yes. Did you um, listen at all to uh, Paul Simon's album of last year, um, So Beautiful or So What? Um, bits and pieces haven't like sat down and absorbed the whole thing yet. Look, there's, there's a song on the album called Love and Hard Times, uh, which I think is possibly the most beautiful piece of music that Paul Simon has written in years. And unlike a lot of his other songs, which are maybe more... Um, I guess in the folksy state, guitar-based or, or maybe more percussion-based from you know, uh, Graceland onwards. Uh, but this is just it's more like a piano songwriter's song. And on this tune, uh, it opens up with him singing about uh, God and his only son paid a courtesy call on the earth one Sunday morning. And God's just like looking at you know, his creation. He sees that you know, basically we've gone and fucked things up here on on the planet, he's saying, "Look, let's not spend any more time here. You know, the people here are slobs." You get the feeling that you know Jesus wanted to hang around and just sort of see what was right. going on, but but God says, "Nah, look, these people they've screwed it up. I've got other galaxies to create." Um, and actually, God sort of plays a strong part on that whole album, but you know, not not it's it's not God, you've done wrong by us, or God, you're great, or anything like that. It's just a lot of observational stuff. Uh, on that album, you know, you, when you die, you go up to heaven, and you've got to wait in a queue if you wanted to have an audience with the great one. It's, 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 and heaven is just a bureaucracy, like anywhere else on <laughs> earth. Um, but nothing to be you know, mean or bitter. It's just more observational, just great storytelling. And why I refer to that, I guess, because you know, in the light of what you say about Jesus Land here, um, this this sense of disillusionment. If Jesus came back to earth, and in that song, Paul Simon writes, you know, if God himself had come back to earth he would obviously be disillusioned with what he sees but not so much just because we've gone and stuffed things up although there is an element of that but it's just like right. no I've, I've got no patience let's just go on and do something else um, but yeah anyway just sort of bring that up any other points? Um, do we want to move on to the, the, big, the big white elephant in the room? oh the big white elephant in the room landed at the bottom I thought it was my fault And in a way I guess it was I'm just now finding out What it was all about We moved to the west coast Away from everyone She never told me that you called Back when I was still I do want to point out that this this is probably one of my favorite Ben Fold songs of all time. Okay. What did you... Um, I, I should just sort of ask as a bit of a diversion. Um, did you get the uh, collegiate 
a cappella album? That yes, I did. So, what did you think of the version of "Landed on That"? Oh God! Well, I, you know how much I love a cappella. I'm just yes. Gops, I, I just love the way you can just take these voices and just make it into something beautiful. And I love, I loved, I loved it. Look, it's what I've found really interesting, and I know we're sort of getting a bit sidetracked from the Silverman, but right. that's what makes doing podcasting so wonderful. You get the sidetracks, as you know, uh, and I just. I like the fact that so many of his songs have really lend themselves so well to acapella, and I think he sort of came across that project just by seeing how many uh, acapella groups had gone and written arrangements of his songs. And I don't know how many how many other groups. I mean, you know, maybe the Beatles aside have such a large percentage of their repertoire that well, have been stripped down like that. It's because I think so much of Folds' work is based on harmony. Yes. And that, that, that makes it easy for arrangers, for you know, acapella groups to kind of extrapolate outwards. Yeah, but they're not just copying his own, yeah. his own harmonies. Every song on that think, album comes up with something yeah. really new and original. And, and um, I mean, the, 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 more, the more interesting songs, you know, they, they might take it and do something a little bit different to how his own arrangement was uh, and yeah. there are some songs which they didn't consider for the album but there's some great things out on YouTube there was a I, I, look I can't remember the name of any of the collegiate groups but there was one group that did um, uh, One Angry Dwarf and 200 Solemn Faces which right. um, I'm not going to say is better than my own group's version of course but, uh, <laughs> but no, they, no they did a wonderful wonderful rendition of it and it came up with all sorts of interesting ideas that you know when we arranged it hadn't, hadn't thought of but um I just love the fact that his own songs and like the case of the one that we're about to talk about landed is covered in that vein. And he, even if he's not singing the harmonies is just so maybe it's the richness of the piano that, that uh, guitar doesn't always um, necessarily lend itself, at least not obviously to uh, an acapella arrangement. I think that, that one of the reasons why, Ben is so active in the acapella community. Why he is such a champion for it mm. is because he appreciates how there are so many different approaches that people take to his work mm. in that form. I think that he, because he's such a music nerd, yes, it fascinates him to hear his music transformed in such a way. Yes, and become two, three, four, five different. Have the same song be five different things, right? And yet still be that song, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, he he must have had a uh, a fantastic time putting um, putting that album together. Um, I, I, look, I, my own my own group uh, applied, but we didn't get on. Um, I prefer to think it well, not because we didn't do a good job, of course, but because a we're not collegiates and b we're not American. But I like to hope and that maybe, maybe it was just too painful at the moment to have to deal with anything Australian. Maybe exactly, exactly. I thought you know, come on, but you know, Ben, you are an honorary Australian. You know, yes. Give us give us some love. Give us some love, but. Right. No, he didn't. Oh, I don't know. I might have to. Um, when he when he comes to town, I might have to be a stalker or something like that. Right. Uh, anyway, so it landed another one of the marital strife songs, and uh, I mean, when you consider if how many there are on the album. You Fraley. Sorry. If you to thank was I blame you, Fraley. Yes, and and this was landed is guys. Give me I'm, a few moments. I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm leaving, Fraley. Yeah. <laughs> now I should I should point out. That, in the context of my own life, 
this song came out. This was the first single, and I think the only single from this album okay. in America. Right. And it came out at a point where I was, I just extricated myself from a horrible, horrible, destructive four years, four year relationship. Right. One that saw me cut, you know, basically cut off from a lot of people that were my friends. Mm. And so hearing Ben vocalize what I was going through at that time, literally, where I'm calling people up going like, I'm sorry, it's over, don't worry. You know, basically apologizing to all these people for what a freaking horrible person I'd been for those four years, what a terrible friend I'd been, mm. is probably why I have such a personal relationship to this song as a whole. Right. But once again, once this is the other song that he refers to, a friend. Yeah. <laughs> And seeing it in the context, knowing that the marriage would dissolve very shortly after this album got released, right? Um, you see that it's not the, who the friend is. Yes, yes. Um, uh, look, uh, I, you know, not knowing anything about what you'd seen on the DVD, not having it, um, I listened. I mean, I wouldn't say I got distressed, but I. I really kept scratching my head and thinking oh, this must be a breakup album but oh, I guess you know hindsight is a great informant but I would have thought you know Frally did you not ask questions of him at the time you know where's my love song where you know what really every one of these songs there's um there's so much uh, disenchantment here and um you know, he, he's singing here the daily dramas uh she made from nothing so nothing ever made them right. She liked to push me and talk back down until I believed I was the crazy one. And in and a in way, a day, I, I guess, guess I was. was. So I, I, I mean... Open my eyes. Sorry. No, no, please sing. On this show, <laughs> you're allowed to sing. Go for it. Okay, okay no, no. Let's continue. <laughs> oh, all right. Never mind. You, you can't say I didn't give you the opportunity. I know, I know. When it comes, it'll come. <laughs> um, I'd be interested. I mean, like, you know, once again, this is, in a way... Because, uh, as I discussed before with you, that in the early days he was this smart-ass finger pointer, and it, on the surface it sounds like once again he's being a bit of a finger pointer there. But I don't think he completely absolves himself of all blame. I think he's pointing it at himself yeah, because yeah. it takes two to tango. Yes. If if you to thank was I blame you, mm. landed is kind of I blame myself because I allowed this to happen. I put, uh, instead of calling people, calling her on some of this stuff, I let it go. And I let this thing get more and more festering. And I got, there's this impression of him going outside, you know, the, the metaphor of going outside and the sky comes tumbling down and you realize that this is great wild world out there again. Mm. Which, once again, is something that I really, really empathize with. When I listened to it for that first time in 2005, after I had the courage yep. to tell this person, it's done. Right. Um, it, it's the world becomes just like a really weird, strange place again. And this is what I think he's trying to he's trying to convey. Hey, look, as as we'll discuss when we get uh, a couple of songs down the line to trusted. Um, I'm not sure if it's conveyed as well in here, but I get the feeling, like overall thematically on the album, that when he's singing, because you went and mentioned, yeah, oh look, I, it takes two to tango, but if his worst crime is 
allowing it to go on. That's still not absolving himself of blame. That's just saying, uh, you did some shitty things and my fault is I allowed you to do shitty things as opposed to you did some shitty things and I did some shitty things too. And I think in... It's not so much obvious in Landed because, yes, you're right, he's singing here, I allowed it to happen, but in Trusted, which we'll get to shortly, um, he's... It, it's not he's not saying it explicitly but you read between the lines and I think he's saying there you know what I was a bastard too but we'll get we'll get to that shortly um, uh, however you know I, I think the, the big motto from this album is if you're in a relationship with a songwriter or an author never piss them off um, I was I was reading an article in the um, in a paper this week about uh, the the, the uh, sad um, uh, untimely you know, loss of uh, Nora Ephron. And right. I, I mean, look, apart from you know, when Harry met Sally, which I absolutely love, um, I, I didn't really, hadn't really known much about her other work. I didn't see Sleepless in Seattle or anything like that, but I read about the film that she'd written, or the book that she'd written became the film, Heartburn, about her breakup with uh, Carl Bernstein. And, you know, um, Really, he must have pissed her off. Um, yeah. he, he objected. and She said, well, you know, that's typical of the male-female relationship in the, the public eye and in Hollywood. He does shit, and I get blamed because I write about him doing yeah. shit. Uh, and, it, you know, I guess I, I wonder if, you know, Frally, you know, in her defense, from you know, her perspective, whether she's thinking, well, you know, Ben did some shitty things, and... Um, I'm being made to pay for it because he's the one with the with the great songwriting ability. So, yeah. Now, have you ever heard the the stringed version? Uh, yeah, that that's actually the version that appears on the um, the best imitation of myself. That right. three CD. Okay, you have. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I actually prefer this version because I think this version turns out more intimate. I can look. I can see a good argument for both of them. When I heard the stringed version, I. I rather liked it. No, I, I, I'm one to agree with the opinion that sometimes the overall string thing can, uh, if it's done in a Mantovani way, can really interfere and take what was beautiful out of it in the first place. But I think it's got a lot of merit. But yes, I do see that intimate side of it that you mentioned on, on uh, this album. Right. But, you know, fortunately, he chose that version for the main album. If you want to hear the stringed one, well, yeah. you, you put on... The greatest I think hits. it's also available as a B-side to a later to a sing, one of the singles from Way to Normal. I wish I could remember which one. Okay. Um, the the curious thing about this song in relation to the DVD, um, he does talk about he recorded the, the stringed version first, right, and then decided to re-record it with just him and the. I should probably mention the the other band members here, shouldn't I? Yes, we should actually. We have we, we should. Have to mention them one they're, second. They're integral to his sound. So it's Jared Reynolds on bass, yeah, and Lindsay Jamison on drums, and both right. of them uh, contribute harmony vocals as well all over this album. And the other thing that's interesting is that they show footage of him shooting the video, which, in the context of the DVD, apparently featured William Shatner in a long-haired wig, okay, and an orangutan has producers trying to produce this song. Right. It was not what eventually came out. The official, uh, once again, I think that he thought wisely of not doing a jokey video of this. Yes. 
and the official video was just him and the piano. Okay. In like multi-screen, kind of like the woods, old Woodstock film where he had like the, the split yes. screens and such. Yes. And I think that was a wise choice too because I think it'd be hard to take this song seriously if everything, what you thought of was a orangutan <laughs> and William Shatner in a long wig. Yeah. Uh, so was that actually uh, when did um, has been the album the William Shatner has album been I think precedes this album okay so he already he already had that relationship with uh, with William yeah. Shatner we'll have to save that talk for another time but that's um, that that is an album that I really like um, yeah. I had I didn't buy it at the time but a friend bought it for my birthday and thought, oh no it's going to be a novelty album and I was and, and I thought, no it's thing, not it's a, it's a great, yeah. great great record and um, the funny thing is it's it's a, one of those rare cases of the cover song actually replacing the original yeah, as yeah look I, I if you're going to say you think it's a better version I agree I know that um, a, a friend of mine who was a big um, wasn't Human League that did the original it was uh, uh, common, um, no it was Pulp 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 Jarvis uh, Crocker uh, but a, a very very good friend of mine um, he said oh, I absolutely hate that and he's a big fan of Pulp and I said, well, you know, I can't stand Pulp, but I love this. But, you know, of course, he doesn't take things well, seriously. So, For me, what it is, and then we'll, we'll get back to Song for Silverman, yeah, is it's the contrast between William Shatner's kind of casual talk singing with Joe Jackson, who is perhaps the most emotionally raw singer to ever come out mm. of the, the new wave movement of the, the late 70s, early 80s. Yes. Being basically his interior monologue. Yeah, he, he's, he's completely, he completely convincing on that. So, hmm. all right. So um, let's uh, go on to the next song of the album, and this is the first the one genuine love song. I, I was going to say, yeah, the the, the 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 first love song on the album, and this is Gracie. can't fool me, I saw you when you came out You got your mama's taste but you got my mouth and You will always have a part of me Nobody else is ever gonna see Gracie girl This is one of two songs that he had written for his children. Uh, the f uh, on the Rock in the Suburbs album, he'd gone and written um, uh, still, uh, fighting st still fighting it for Lewis. And on this one, he wrote Gracie. Now I have to say that um, for my own daughter, whose name is not Gracie, but I frequently love singing her that line. You'll be a lady someday, but until then, you've got to do as I say. And she just finds that hysterical. I don't know why. Um, but this is my unashamed favorite song on the album, probably for precisely the reasons for that most people who got into Ben Folds at whatever and ever I mean might actually hate it. Uh, but you know, being a father of two absolutely beautiful children, I... I love the playfulness of the piano. He's playing it up in the upper register of the piano um, at the start of each verse, and it gives it that playful feeling. And if you, you to tell, think was a waltz, yes, 
this is like a nursery rhyme. It is completely. Yes, exactly. It really does sound like a nursery rhyme. Um, and it, 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 he shows he cares for he cares for her. He, he loves her. I, uh, even this is one of the few songs that ha even has a little bit of humour in it. You know, you've got your mother's taste, but you've got my mouth. So we can expect right. that when Gracie folds grows up, she'll be singing songs with you know, fuck you, fuck this, and fuck everything else. But actually, I don't know. Are you a fan of uh, Loudon Wainwright? Not, not so much. I hope okay. you don't hate me for that. No, I won't. No, no. But um, I am a huge Ladin Wainwright fan. And he wrote a song years ago called Five Years Old for his, uh, for his daughter, Martha. Um, of course, he went and wrote some less flattering songs for, uh, for his son, Rufus. But on this song, Five Years Old, you know, he sings about, well, look, I'm so sorry that you know, my life as a touring musician means that I can't be there for your five-year-old birthday party. But you know, when when uh, you open up your present, realise it's from me, and I hope that you eat lots of ice cream and cake. And, and it's a really very endearing song to his daughter, who years later paid back the compliment by writing the song "Motherfucking Bloody Asshole." Um, of course, a lot has happened in between, but um, it'll be interesting to see whether. Uh, uh, Gracie feels the same way about Ben. I suspect not, but you know, because as, as much as I love Loudon Wainwright as a songwriter, um, I've seen a couple of documentaries about him, and he's gone and said some very disparaging things about, uh, especially about Rufus. And I think Mark yeah, and Rufus got along very well. So, um, yeah, I think it's one of the reasons why, even though uh, Derek bought me the um, oral history of Warren Zevon. Yep. I'll sleep when I'm dead for one of my birthdays. Yes. After about a hundred pages, I stop reading it. Right. Because it's just so painful to read what I. I mean, you you always know what a terrible person uh, your musical idols are. Mm. But having so much evidence piled up over, <laughs> over it's like, no, no, please let me just keep some little portion of him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So I, I, I somehow suspect that um, uh, uh, Mr. Fold's relationship with his kids uh, is a lot better than what it sounds like. You know, Zevon's oh, was. Uh, I think it's one of the Rose. reasons he uh, set up the studio that he did when he was shooting this, uh, when he was uh, recording this album, mm. because it was like a block away from where he was living at the time in Memphis, mm. and you see a lot of footage in that DVD of him. Of Gracie kind of like running around the <laughs> right. the studio while yeah. they're while they're working, and him sitting down and coloring with her and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. No, look, I, I, I mind you, as well as this being a, a and as you've gone and said, a nursery rhyme or a lullaby for uh, for Gracie uh, and about his paternal protectiveness, but I also look at this as. Uh, a song, uh, one of the first times maybe that he's now starting to think about his own mortality is when right. he sings Time Flies By in Seconds. Uh, he's not just singing about how she's growing, but I think he's also singing about, you know, you'll be a lady someday until then, but until then you've got to do as I, I say. But he, he's also thinking there's going to be a time where I will have no say over you and, and you know, I'm not the young guy I was and you're not always going to be 
my baby and, 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 and there's definitely a sense to me of uh, uh, mortality. Not, not in a big way, but right. I think there's something of it in there. Uh, well, in is, a way, I think this has some slight echoes in Bastard. Yes, yes, I Where you I'd, I'd have this whole, once again, you have this, this similar theme of the, the father trying to impart wisdom to the child. And this time it's done much more whimsically, of course. Yep. And with a great deal more affection. Whereas, of course, in the ba- in Bastard, it's more, uh, you know, out of anger and out of frustration. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, but, you know, as we said before, the end of Bastard, that, that, um, that anger somewhat subsided uh, and he's, uh, he, he probably feels into his own internal pain and his own internal sadness at the funeral. As uh, as you mentioned, but um, yeah, I, I guess yeah, that's maybe it, one song feeds into the other. That theme of yeah. mortality, yeah, definitely, that's uh, uh, a theme over both of these songs. Um, all right, so we go into the next of um, uh, Fold's songs about his friend, even if he hasn't explicitly <laughs> stated it. Uh, this is a song uh, that I alluded to before. It's called Trusted. Funny, I know, but I'm disappointed in you. I thought you could read my mind, but I came home early and saw that a drawer had been open. Looks like you've been reading my diary instead. How does it feel to realize? Trust, you can't be trusted. On this song, uh, I, I read a review of uh, the album on the website Pop Matters, which I right. really, I really like that website. Uh, there's a lot of passion that goes into uh, a lot of these reviews, and I think they're just written by you know, passionate, ordinary guys in the burbs as well as uh, you know, your professional. Um, uh, writers, I might be wrong, but anyway, that's that's my um, that's my perception. But <laughs> on, on, they cited about this song that uh, it was being guilty of containing vacuous catchphrases. You know, it seems if you can't trust, you can't be trusted. Um, look, you know, certainly folds uses in my mind a songwriting mechanism to help propel. You know this song, this story of marital discord, but I I think that it's not so much that he's um, run out of ideas and he's using these bland catchphrases to tell the story, but that he's um, finds himself in a situation, and this is what I was alluding to before, that he's not just finger pointing, he's he, he sort of finds himself trapped. He's, he is finger-pointing here, but he's left himself open to show that he's probably just as guilty as what he accuses uh, Frally uh, or his character 
uh, or his, his friend's wife, uh, his of, friend. uh, yes. of doing by using catchphrases like that, he's sort of showing that he is a guy who's maybe uh, run out of valid things to say about why the marriage went wrong, and he, u- I, I think, he's deliberately using a catchphrase like "if you can't trust, you can't be trusted," because you know, pretty much that's that's his own story. He can't trust. Um, his his spouse, you know, she's gone and looked through his drawers. She's been reading his diary, but you know, hell, what's he gone and written in his diary? What has right. he done? What has he done? Um, so I, I I disagree with PopMatters.com's take on this as being just you know bland, vacuous catchphrases, and he's it's it's what that character would do, and you know what you know Mr. Folds, who is no slouch in the lyric writing department you know he could come up with something better but it's his way of saying i'm a little bit guilty too you know easy i'm frightened i'm uh he, he's not explicitly saying i'm fine but that's how he lets it's on. it's like look at all the references he makes to the interior life yep of fraley it's all about astral signs and her what he's doing to her in her dreams mm, mm. And it's, it's, I think, a lot about the anxiety of, does she know? Yes. Does she, it is what she, it is, when she pulls the covers off of me, is it because she knows that, that this, is, this is the end of the road? Mm-hmm. Look, he, he, never, he never says in this song, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. In fact, right. you know, he, he's, he's fully, he, all but confessing that, uh, that's when I know she's going to wake up and uh, she's going to be pissed off for terrible things I did to her in her dream. Right. And he doesn't actually ever deny that he's done these terrible things. Right. Um, so, yeah, this uh, that's why I find this song a whole lot cleverer than uh, what PopMatters.com has actually given him uh, credit, credit for. Um, what else was I going to say? Um, this is this is a more musical uh, comment I wanted to make about this song. This strike. Oh, actually, what we we're talking about, bastard. Before this is the other song on right. this album that has that crotchet. At least in the verses. Dum 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 dum. Right. Dum. And, and it's com- also the closest we get to that other Ben Folds motif that's in almost all of his albums, with that kind of like stutter step song. You know, singing. Yes. You know, where you can't trust, you can't be trusted. Yes, yes, okay. Yes, so how he, how he uh, rhythmically places the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the comparison I was going to make from a musical perspective, funnily enough, was with Nirvana and the Pixies because there's something of the soft, loud, soft thing going on in this right. song. So those, it's, it's, so the very first verse, you know, he's he's singing this quietly and then he gets to that roar of the chorus that sort of grand piano thing and then he comes to the verse and it's a little bit quieter and then he it's almost like he's getting a bit more frightened and petrified by the end so when he when he's singing that verse she's going to be pissed when she wakes up for terrible things i did to her in her dream and it's no longer the soft loud soft thing it's all it's all loud it's all that one it's dynamic. all building and building and building but it's not out of a sense of self-righteousness I think it's mm-hmm. just out of a sense of fear 
she's of the anticipation out. of the accusation. Yep, absolutely. And and um, it's his his parent. It's not so much about his partner's unjustified paranoia. It's about his own uh, failure to admit that he's done the wrong thing. And in fact, her paranoia might actually be justified to some right. extent. So, um, but yeah, so a, a very dramatic song. Uh, and yeah, one, uh, certainly a highlight of uh, the album. All right, so we go to the next uh, track on the album, which is Give Judy My Notice. Judy, could anyone be loved anymore? Then I love you. closest we come to that love song to Fraley. Okay. That is missing. And yet, it's... You know what it reminds me of a little bit? What's that? Um, okay, the Joe Jackson uh, album, Big World. Yes. Uh, we Can't Stay Together. Right. Okay. It's You know, it, it reminds me thematically of that song. Yes. Where he's like, you know, I love you, but we don't fit. Yep, yep. I, I hadn't thought that's it's a good comparison. I know, I, I know, and love that song. It's a great album, Big World. Hmm. Um, As you can tell, I like Joe Jackson very, very much. Well, I'll I'll have you back to do another Joe Jack to do a Joe Jackson album. I've I've already done um, a Night and Day, yeah, Night and Day by myself. But I really want to discuss Joe Jackson with with someone. I've actually sort of gone on a bit of a Joe Jackson rant because, well, anyway, we'll talk about that off air. Uh, but uh, look, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you can confirm this. I'd read that this version of Give Judy My Notice is not the only version that is released. There might have been one that he put out on iTunes exclusively. Have you heard another version? I have never come across that version. But are you aware of there being another one out there? This is the first time I heard about it. Okay. No, I I had read that there was another version. In fact, what I'd read was the the one that's not on Songs for Silverman is the superior one. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested in hearing it uh this song in a way i mean maybe certainly not from a lyric perspective but from a musical perspective it sounds a little bit out of place it reminds i don't know why the first thing that comes to my mind is early 1970s james taylor influence and there's uh it's well it's got that kind of like sunny melody sort of like you know sort of like that early 70s slow rock yeah taylor phase that kind of and, 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 and yet it's still got that false touch because James Taylor would never have sung I Won't Be a Bitch Anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it is, once again... I, I should instantly mention in the, the, the liner notes, the, the, the CD booklet, you know, each song has a, a picture associated to it. Yes. And we have a praying mantis. You're right, we do too. <laughs> well, Coincidence? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you know. decide, listeners. <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out the 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 
guy wearing the uh, Batman mask on. Well, that's trusted. Ben. Is that Ben? That that's ben? not Ben, surely. Oh, Unless he's considerably he's... younger. Okay. I can't work that one out. But what's that got to do with trusted? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do I know? But yeah, give, look, give Judy my notice. It sort of has a little bit... Uh, he rarely used on his solo albums even um, uh, any guitar. He uses a little bit. and it's But it's very tasteful here. A little bit of that sort of country lap steel sort of feeling. In more fact, for, it, is, uh, it is lap steel. Yeah, more for... We see, once again, we see footage in the DVD of this song oh, being okay. Alright. Um, yeah, look, I... I What's it, it, yeah, another one of his, you know, relationship gone wrong songs. Um, uh, look, I mean, uh, I, I guess at this point, I mean, and, and this is with still another few relationship gone wrong songs to go, I find maybe the theme, if not necessarily the songwriting um, wearing thing, but I sort of find maybe the theme wearing a little bit thin at this point. Um, I mean, you know, I think I might have mentioned this on the episode where I was talking with uh, Jeff and John about um, uh, the Horrible Crows album, Melcy, um, I'd, I'd gone and said that, you know, a l that was another sort of relationship gone wrong album. And I said, you know, look, Chris Isaac, listening to Chris Isaac or Roy Orbison never made me feel like I don't want to hear another song about a breakup. It was all done so perfect. And yet there's mm -hmm. something by this point of thinking... Introduce something a little bit different. Okay, Ben, we kind of get it. He does. Yeah, we, we do. But I don't know, maybe just because the song the only person who work. hasn't gotten it yet is the person you should be talking to. Yes, exactly. You know, Frally, wake up. What happened? Smell the coffee. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Anyway, but um, yeah, what can we say? Yeah, in early 1970s, James Taylor mm. sounding song, but with you know Ben's potty mouth on it. Um. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, give Judy my notice, not tell Judy to fuck off. Um, so yeah, well anyway, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll head to the next song, which is the, I, I guess, the second love song on the album, right. if you will. The songs you wrote got me through a lot. Just wanna tell you that, oh, but it's too late. Once again, the photo interesting, which is of a microphone bagged. I was wondering what that was. Yeah. Oh, so oh, it's hang like, on, no, no, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong photo. I'm looking at the photo of a sentimental guy. Uh, yes, okay. no, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, the, the microphone bag, yes, for, for late. And this is um, Ben's song about uh, the late and wonderful Elliot Smith. Now, I know that there's been a lot that's been written about this song, which really is heartfelt. And you know, Ellis Smith had a you know this great fragile voice, and had this uh, sadly beautiful songwriting 
uh, technique which you know, obviously had, had touched Ben Foles. And the other thing I guess that they had in common was um, you know, they're both multi-instrumentalists. Uh, I can't remember what year uh, Smith shot himself, but uh, I don't know. It was, if I remember correctly, it was not that long before this album came out. It was okay. so maybe 2003 or, three, or something I like that. I, I, I'm not even sure if he left a note explaining why, but um, Folds, on the other hand, he, he shows, like he, he writes a song to him as a comrade in arms. You know, we're both spending life out on the road. Uh, you know, he, he sings, I, I think it's such a clever line, uh, under the same dirty words on a dirty wall, uh, right. eating takeout by myself. I played the show, got back in the van and put the Walkman on and you were playing in some other dive a thousand yeah. miles away. So it's great. You listen to that point and you think, oh yeah, you were playing on the Walkman, but it's not the end of the sense. You were playing in some other dive a thousand miles away. Uh, in a, some bizarre way, that opening kind of shouts back to his cover of Some Great Heights. Mm. It's, it's kind of like the dark, evil, malevolent brother of that. Yes. Where it's like, well, I feel this empathy with you, this sympathy, and I want to send it out to you, but you're gone already, man. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they, they never met, so... Um you know, quite unusual that um, you know, he could write such a, an empathic song. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, really, it, it is a song of it is a song of love. And and the the only things that he knows about him, and he, he mentions this in the DVD, is you know, Elliot, man, you played a fine guitar and some dirty basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also the 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 touching thing, I loved the line, yeah, the songs you wrote got me through a lot. Through a lot. I just want to tell you that. But it's too late. Too late. Um, so I guess the the um, another song I want to sort of make a bit. Although of a I should point out, yes. one of the theories about why Elliot Smith killed himself is that he had a breakup. Oh, really? And there's this line, uh, the stanza here. Oh no, things were looking up. At least that's what I heard. Oh no, someone came and washed away your hard-earned peace of mind. Mm. And maybe that's another bit of empathy he has with Elliot Smith. Uh, okay, so once again, we've got another marriage breakup. Although, thankfully, <laughs> this one is so deeply buried that it takes us to act, uh, some work to actually decipher it. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I, I was going to make a comparison. I've, I've got a written a note here. I don't know that it's necessarily a valid comparison anymore, but for some reason, the... Uh, the thought I had, there, there's a, a great Australian uh, band that's been around for many years uh, here, I think since the early 80s, called the Hoodoo Gurus. And their oh, songwriter... Oh, good. So, okay, so they, um, their songwriter, Dave Faulkner, had uh, written a, a song, I think on their album, called Kinky, called A Thousand Miles Away. Mm-hmm. And once again, this was you know, a song about... Uh, well, but this is a song more not about a musician, but about a working stiff who you know just he wakes up and the next day he's not at a bus stop, he's at an airport, you know, going to make another flight somewhere to a thousand miles away, and it's 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 not about a musician, but it's about life on the road and the the monotony of it, uh, and it's not really where he wants to be, and it, it's you know I, I guess as much as you know Ben can't quit. 
playing in front of audiences and creating new music and it's in his blood and yet there's something there of the well yeah life on the road you're in a thousand miles away in a dive and i'm here and i've, I've seen a bit of you by something written on a wall and dave faulkner singing in a thousand miles away about well you know i, I possibly should be in my nice warm bed or waking up and having a cup of tea with my family but instead i'm in some nameless airport just traveling they're both maybe songs uh, i guess a thousand miles away is a song of disenchantment and this is more a, a, a song of love but i still feel that there's some elements in common right. in, in their approach uh, I would say love and regret yes i'd, I'd so that's correct I'd go along with that. All right, so where are we at to now? Um, um, sentimental guy. Sentimental and I think guy. There's a moment in my mind I scribbled and erased a thousand times like a letter never written or sent. These conversations with the dead I used to be a sentimental guy Now I'm haunted By the left unsaid I never thought so much could change That is supposed to be an icicle Hanging off of a piece of fruit Alright, I'm glad that you uh, pointed that out Because I... Had no idea. You'd think a song like "Sentimental Guy," you know, before you come up with your theory about, uh, well, not your theory, but you know, well, you, I guess what you said from the DVD about this is his album to Frally saying, "I want out." Um, right. You, you, when you read the title, you sort of get the impression that finally Ben's going to be writing some song of love for him. Nap, the opposite. <laughs> He's singing about. The old Ben Folds, who used to be the sentimental guy before everything turned to shit. Continuing the theme of love it's lost. But unlike with Give Judy My Notice, I think, all right, you gave me a break with that beautiful song about Elliot Smith, right? Okay, I'm ready to go the trip again with you and hear this breakup song. Uh, and once again, he, you know, there is some of the use of the, the crotchet chords here. And actually, I've sort of got it written here uh, for my notes for this song, I probably should have done it earlier, um, a list of songs that I could think of where he's using this technique. This is just being nerdy over right. here. But uh, So on this album, we've already talked about Bastard and Trusted. But there's also Army, Losing right. Lisa, Claire's Ninth, and All You Can Eat. And right. this one, Sentimental Guy. But I'm sure you know, if, we thought, if we stopped and thought about it for a bit... Um, there's probably a few more there where he uses right. a crotchet, and surely enough, it's not going to be the last time that he does it. Watch this space for the new Ben Folds 5 album. He's going to use the crotchets. <laughs> um, but, but in all seriousness, I, I'm wondering if you know, he feels it creates a certain mood, and you actually sort of already alluded to that, I think, with right. Bastard, didn't you? Right. That the crotchets are setting up this sort of sombre mood but you know, but on the other hand songs like army which are working with crotchets it's it's not sober it's you know it's anything but so it's interesting to see where uh what he 
what he thinks that the simple crotchet can do. And yet, I mean, a, a player of his ability and a songwriter of his ability, you know, could do all these fancy things all over the album, and yet he's to be admired for keeping things simple. And he's got this recurring rhythmic pattern through all these songs, and yet none of the, they, they feel rhythmically familiar, and yet none of them sound like a rip-off of the last one. It's almost like, Sentimental Guy is almost like a soft shoe, for God's sakes. Look, I've, I've got him written down here. I imagine he should be on stage dressed in a white suit, top hat, and tails <laughs> with a cane, doing this song in a cabaret. So we're, we're, on, the same, we're on the same page, my friend. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, no, look, once again, he, he's singing about how, um, you know, this he's, he's not the guy that he used to be, and... and Damn it, Frally, you've gone and spoiled it all. You know, yeah. Which is not so fair, but, well, he had his moment with Trusted, I suppose. Yeah. Although uh, I, love, I, I love the imagery of, of watching these pictures basically aging in an attic. Yep. Towards the end, where things go to black and white and then just start yellowing and curling and getting all nasty and brittle. Mm. And yet... I think there's there's a moment when he goes into the the bridge or the middle eight or whatever it is, where like he's he's gone from being uh, when he's singing the sentimental guy he sounds almost cocksure of himself, yeah. And yet when he sings that bit, we drifted far away, far away it seems. Time has stopped. The clock keeps going, and he really sounds very vulnerable at that point. And unlike in you know a song like You to Thank. Here he really does sound like he's full of regret. He, it, it's yeah. like in you to thank it sounds like you know we should. It, we, this is a case of it never should have been. In this moment, he almost sounds like I really wish this had worked. Right. Um, and I, I, I think that's why I'm back on board with him on this theme for this song because he he paints his vulnerable picture and he almost it's. Almost like he's saying, "Look, you know what? In my heart of hearts, I do love you." Yeah, and it's so. almost—it's almost like he's trying to evoke the Ben of old mm. to hide that vulnerability. Yep, that kind of swagger that he that he had. Yes, no, look, he—he um, he definitely carries it off. All right, so where are we at now? Gosh, it's we're now uh, at time. Well, we're we're up to time. walked the earth We talked and never spoke a word She wonders who will be the first to go I said, you know The biggest things we gotta face alone Don't wanna when it's time to go Uh, so yes, time, and of course, you know, I, I guess a lot of songs about time, and you know, Ben's done it too. Uh, makes use of the uh, rim shot on <laughs> on the snare drum to um, uh, to make paint the sound of uh, of a 
a clock, the tick-tocking of a clock. But right. it seems less intrusive. I mean, it's it's obvious and yet not completely intrusive. So um, it's I don't know, he's he's a good arranger. Or he's got a he's got a good drummer there as well to. Um, but it, it could have been done a whole lot more in your face, and yet it it sort of works here. Um, I, I was I was sort of thinking about this as well. I, I referred to Richard Thompson before, and right. I, I've no idea whether Ben is a fan of Richard or not. But I see the character here as similar one, similar to the one in Thompson's song once again from Mock Tudor, uh, the song "Crawl Back," albeit yeah. nowhere near as nasty or, or sarcastic. This is a song uh, about the venom has been milked out of him. Yes, yes. Well, it, it, it's that emotional cliche, time healing all wounds, but this time, unlike the sentimental guy, Ben is once again blaming the other party. Um, right. And he, he's singing, you know, think of me any way you want. I can be the problem if that's easier. And Let that's, me be the villain. I can, I can be a villain. It's just like with Thompson singing and crawl back, you know, uh, look, you know what, go hang shit on me and you won't have to be seen standing next to me you won't have to be you don't introduce me i'm just i'm just scum you know really right. just I'll, I'll crawl back under my rock and i i find that you know, it, it really it could be the same character but just maybe right. not as not as nasty and, and each character's got a chip on their shoulder uh you know you've got that passive aggressive thing here and um but you know but on the other hand unlike uh, Thompson's character, which is full-on aggressive, but here you, you've gone and said he is—you hit the nail on the head. He's sounding tired here and resigned, and this is right. a good place on the album for this song. Um, earlier on, it's like I'm pointing the finger, and now it's like you know what—I I, I just Take want out. what you want. You know, in a while, mm. I'm going to be just a memory. Yep, exactly. I won't even—it won't even get back to me. So, make me the villain if you want to be. Yep. Completely. All right, so and of um, course we've got yep. you know uh, Weird Al Yankovic on harmonies of all people. Now that's that's really strange because I, I mean I always was aware you know that he's a, a bona fide musician in his own right, but I don't really think I've heard anything apart from his um, uh, pokers and song parodies. So uh, interesting to see him turn up on an album like this of all things. You would have thought that you know, he'd be turning up playing the uh, piano accordion on uh, One Angry Dwarf or something, but <laughs> but no, he turns up on time. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I don't think we've said much about the uh, music here. I mean, I've already gone and inferred about the the uh, the rim shots uh, that he does to you know the seconds ticking along. But yeah, once again, a very gentle song, and um, but yeah, it it sort of betrays the tiredness that uh, that he feels on this. And then we come to um, prison food. We walked the earth. We talked and never spoke a word. She wonders who will be the first to go. I said. Alone. 
don't know, is this like Led Zeppelin's Black Dog where he just decided, oh, I'll call it something that's got nothing to do with the I song? I have no or, idea. Or is there it, something it, behind it? What do you think? It, it, it's, it's the one song on this album that doesn't seem to fit. You think? I, it just it's, it seems such like an anomaly after all, after all of what we've been through. I mean, I know what, what's going on here, but yeah, I think it's just one of these situations kind of like with uh, uh, the crash test dummies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where they, he couldn't think of something, so I said, oh, just call it that. Or yes. train in vain. You know, but unlike unlike um, that crash test dummy song where they actually they, they do that, but this yeah. I don't see this as a metaphor for anything to, about um, uh, prison life or prison or even feeling trapped in a relationship because this song uh, actually I sort of see this in a way I, I you say it doesn't fit and yeah I think it perfectly fits not well not so much within the theme of breakup I see this as a bookend uh, right. because the first song bastard was. Maybe not about death, but about his relationship to his father who died. And this is uh, another a song about mortality. Um, we walked the earth, we talked and never spoke a word. She wonders who will be the first to go. Um, it's that first pair of lines reflecting a cynical state where people you know, spend so much time with each other, yet they never say anything of consequence? Or is right. it in fact saying something that we can be comfortable with each other and can know what our closest loves are thinking without having to say anything? Um, and yet, but it's all about that, you know, in the end, whether you know, it, it's about not asking the questions or actually knowing what the other person is saying but we all end up in the same place the biggest thing we've got to face alone don't want to when it's time to go alone alone again we, we're all going to end up there but we're not right. walking that road together so really I think it actually bookends the album we end the journey the way we came out alone correct. and crying in pain correct um, so you know, once again he, he's you know, come up with another song about the fear of mortality uh, you know, there but you know but completely different to how Gracie does it. Um, Gracie's more of a gentle, sort of you know, whimsical thing, if you will, whereas this is, um, I, I think there's a lot more fear in, uh, right. in his voice here. And well, I mean, look at that couplet about I can tell you about the little things so you don't think about the big things. Mm, yes, yes. Definitely. You know, let me fill, fill your mind with, basically static so we don't have to confront the fact that there's this big black space at the end of the road mm, mm. no he's um, yeah, it, it's interesting to see that he uh, puts a song like this at the end of an album full of um, uh, you know, songs oh, about relationship breakup and, and yeah so there goes the vitriol and, and this is it's, it's not a song of redemption or anything like that but it's um resolution of you know being correct. resolved correct and this is probably where it differs i compared this to beck's sea change album whereas that song i think that album ended up more on a hopeful a more optimistic note this doesn't give you any relief it's you know not so much anymore about uh, i've had enough of this relationship yet another song but it, right. it, it certainly doesn't let up any of the relief um, so this is you know, fairly a bleak album, and yet because he's musically so melodically inventive, right? 
you can listen to it without wanting to slash your wrists by, by well, the end the of it. That's the funny thing. Is that I didn't realize how dark this, song, this album was for about two or three years after I first purchased it. Yep. You know, because there's so many, so much of the of the signature false harmonies and the, and the yes, you listen, know, all the you hear the songs without really having to listen that closely to the lyrics. And, and yet, then you realize, oh shit, this is. Look, the the truth of the matter is, when you think about it, he's always written songs about human frailty. Uh, so, like, you know, right through the very first Ben Folds Five album, you got boxing, right, and through to you know, all the way through to his last album. Uh, Lonely Avenue, uh, Picture Window, which um, in a lot of ways hit home for me. That That's a song that I cried listening to because it it said a lot of things that was happening in, in my life at the time. Or, or look at Fred, was it Fred Jones, I think? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. From that's Rock not, the Suburbs? Yes, yes. Uh, that, yeah, definitely another song about... about um, uh, that final curve about becoming useless basically yep. about yep. becoming obsolete correct i no. mean even something as jaunty as zach and sarah i mean he's very unapologetic about the fact that this woman's brain is deteriorating in her skull mm-hmm. no um yeah, no, yeah, and yet you wouldn't necessarily know about that because it's this really this jaunty song you know, with triplets. Hey, we're having fun here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've gone and said on other episodes, I, I, I frequently admire songwriters who uh, say one thing with their instrument and a completely different thing with, uh, with their lyrics. Uh, it really sort of forces you, you, you go back and you've, you think you know the song and then after about 10,000 times you think, oh, whoa, hang on. I didn't know the yes. song was about that. <laughs> which is probably why Way to Normal is, is like we've, we've mentioned, which is kind of the exten- an extension of this album, mm. is such a mess because so much of it is surface. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I think like, he's, he's gone on a song like You Don't Know Me, which could yeah. be for Frally. And yet, it's not really as articulate, or certainly not as melodically inventive as uh, anything. It, it doesn't touch me as much as. Um, I mean, uh, the, the thing that makes you don't know me is Regina Spector being on there. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, I don't I, think he uses her enough. Yeah. Oh, well. But I mean, it, it's it's a total. It's listening to this and then following it right up immediately with Way to Normal was such a, a culture shock. I was. So before we sort of finish off, I was going to point out one more thing about that last okay. song, Prison Food. It has a Keith Moon bit. Um, the, the, uh, just this bit, it looks like he couldn't think of a good bridge to, to compose. So he just has his, he's playing the main theme on the piano and he lets uh, Lindsay Jamison go nuts mm-hmm. on the drums in a sort of won't get fooled again right. moment. Um, and so Mr. Folds, I salute you. For, uh, introducing a, a Keith Moon bit into your album somewhere, so I don't know why I wanted to mention that. I just did anyway. <laughs> um, and, and I definitely I, think. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go for it. Go for it. I definitely think of his four solo albums. If you want to count Lonely Avenue as a solo album, yes, which I do. This is without a doubt his his best album. I'd also count, I well, I'd say really five because I'm I, I'm counting Sunny Speed Super. Okay, five. yes, I'll, the, I'll count okay. that. So five. Um, I know so many people claim he never got he never recovered from Rocking the Suburbs was 
so many people claim that that's like the the last great Ben Folds album. I don't agree. No. Not at all. No. This um, no. This album. I, I I'll listen to this album over um, Rock in the Suburbs. In fact, actually, when I bought I bought both albums like as a twin pack, and yeah. um, the guy uh, the, the store I went into had said um, said oh, yeah, they're both great albums, but Songs for Silverman is less polished. Uh, I mean, it's all, all the more interesting considering that I think you know, Folds plays just about every instrument on Rock in the Suburbs anyway, right. doesn't he? Uh, and this is he's using a band. Maybe that's why this is more intimate. You know, if he's doing everything by himself, he had to make it perfect. And not that I'm saying anything on here was sloppy. It wasn't, but it sounds more honest um, than, than Rock in the Suburbs. And I love Rock in the Suburbs. But, right. Um, uh, and it, look, any album that has a song like The Luckiest on it... Um, mm. Jesus, you know, uh, yeah, that, that has to have, even if every other song in that album was shit, you know what, if, if The Luckiest had been on Way to Normal, I'd say Way to Normal was a good album, even if yeah. I mean, for that one song, it doesn't have one song. But, but of album. course, the great thing about Rock in the Suburbs is that it's, it's not the only great, it's like one no, great gem run yeah. right after the other, yeah, but yeah. I think it lacks the coherence the way that, Silverman flows one to the other song is much greater than than Rocking the Suburbs is. Yep, definitely. Although he has different stories to tell on um, on Rocking the Suburbs, you know, he had he had purpose for songs for Silverman. Um, you know, I mean, like ostensibly, the luckiest is written for Frally. So, right. so there was that moment. So, you know, despite what he sings in, while we appreciate what you gave us, Ben, couldn't you have just written a note or something? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's um, no. He, he anyway. So yeah, great. Uh, still, yeah, p- pair of great albums there, and uh, yeah. we're looking forward with much um, eager anticipation to his uh, new project with the Five coming out September. And, and I find it fascinating that he's taking this. This I, th- I think this is the first time he's going and doing so much of this by himself. Oh, in terms of uh, the the finance and the exactly. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, 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 it looks like there's a whole lot of artists who are um, doing that, and that's a whole that's the subject of a whole separate podcast. Right. I don't think we can sort of go into any. Uh, I don't we'll think be here for time. another hour. We, we would, Sorry. we would be, and I have to wake up tomorrow morning okay. for work. But, um, uh, but yeah, still, it, it is interesting that someone like him. I mean, he just had this big retrospective out on. Uh, Sony and I, I think he like the the last album was out on non such and I think he pretty much could have done another album yeah. for them so I think he could have stayed with a big label but um, yeah maybe maybe he feels that I'm going to do things completely my way I don't want anyone interfering which raises interesting questions as to how much interference there was in uh, the recording of any of these albums but uh, yeah. oh well all right look what we'll do at this stage is we're going to take a break. Uh, final break um, and what we're going to do after this break is come back and we're going to hear from uh, our good friend and collaborator for Love That Album Mr. Eric Reanimator and his segment an album that I love and in a way it seems that the album he's going to be talking about tonight would have no relationship whatsoever to Ben Folds and yet I sort of see that there is. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about that um, after he's spoken. We'll go for a break, and then you'll hear from Eric Reanimator, and then Thomas and I will come back and finish off. You're listening to Love That Album. American Dream. 
Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. Take it away, edit the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, three, four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. song that is not on the album I'm going to talk about. However, I did it for a reason. Because in that minute, I think, you learn enough to know whether or not this album is going to work for you. The album we're going to talk about today is Shock Troops by the band Coxsparrow. Reanimator back with another installment of albums that I love. This time around, as I said, Shock Troops by the band Cocksparrow. Before we go any further, I need to address two things. 
Number one, the oi issue. Number two, the skinhead issue. Yes, oi music was second wave punk rock in the UK that was analogous to American hardcore. And yes, there were a number of fans who were skinheads. There were a number of fans who were part of the National Front and by proxy were racist. If you really want to know what that was all about, there's plenty of stuff out there you can read. You can read about how the original skinheads were Jamaicans. You can read about how the early skinhead punks were into reggae and soul music and all the rest of that. And I don't think there's a better illustration of exactly what happened to the punk scene and skinheads in that scene than the film This Is England, which is highly recommended on its own merits, but it shows you exactly how things change. So there's the skinhead issue. The next issue is Oi. Oi was a stripped-down, street-level, soccer chant, drinking-your-beer-in-the-pub kind of music, and that was perfect for Coxbearer, because Coxbearer's roots go back way before 84, 82, and back into the 70s, when they were actually part of the pub rock scene. Yes, they were part of the scene that gave us Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello and Grimsley Swartz and Eggs Over Easy and all of those great bands. <laughs> they even recorded an album back in the 70s for Decca Records that wasn't released until the 2000s. And I also will just say one last thing about the race issue, and that's I understand that Cox Bear never were overtly racist, but at the same time that they never didn't denounce the racism in the scene. That said, if you listen to their music, you listen to their politics, you cannot help but note that they were talking about, more importantly than left-wing, right-wing, they were talking about the realities for working people, for people in the streets, and the youth living in Thatcher's Britain in the late 70s and early 80s. Let's take a little bit of a listen. Cox Bar 
maybe forgotten in their time or overlooked. Famously, they uh, turned down Malcolm McLaren's offer to manage them because he wouldn't buy them a round of beers. However, today, they have an international cult following. They have been covered numerous times. I'm amazed at the number of people that I find who are fans of this band. And they continue to this day. They've put out albums off and on over the last several decades. None of the albums are as good as Shock Troops, but each and every one of them has at least one or two songs on it that are worth the price of picking it up. However, Shock Troops is the place to start. This is the album when people say, I've got the pistols, I've got the damped, I've got the clash. What else do I need? And I say, Shock Troops. Listen to it. Love it. And I'm going to leave now with my favorite song in the album, which sounds nothing like what you've been listening to. This is the only song in the album that sounds like this, but I think it is their masterpiece. So until next time, this is Eric Reanimator with an album I love, and I'm going to leave you with Cox Sparrow and Out on an Island. Thanks, Eric, for another wonderful an album I love segment. Um, Cox Sparrow, not a band I was aware of, uh, but that certainly sounded very interesting and it's wonderful you know, just to sort of work out how you, you mentioned. I, I'd gotten this one impression from the samples of music that you'd played that, oh yeah, they sound like a, a Sex Pistols copy type band and then that last song Out on an Island sounded just like nothing else that you played as you indicated it sounded very very different these guys sounded like they actually knew how to play their instruments really really well Um, and Eric had also mentioned there that they came from the same from the pub rock scene not necessarily the the same scene the the punk rock scene uh, that eventuated but they'd played on the same circuit that had um, you know, Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds had played on. And I, I think really that's about the only way that you'd make any valid comparison between uh, Cox Sparrow and uh, Nick Lowe, but there you go. Anyway, thanks once again for that really incredibly entertaining segment, and uh, Eric will be back in another two weeks on the next uh, Love That Album episode. Um, and we're rapidly approaching the end of this one. Um, 
thank you so much, Thomas, for uh, being. Uh, Thanks for having me. I mean, we've had a blast, I think, here. Uh, yeah, I know. I certainly have. Um, yeah. I know. We'll. I'll be uh, having you back again. We've been talking about Joe Jackson, so. And I, I know that you also asked me to. Uh, we've also talked about maybe doing a Warren Zevon album at one point. Oh, well, I'll, I'll have to sort of go back through that. My my son Max is the real Warren oh. Zevon nut in in the household. I'm frequently telling him, you know, why don't you listen to something that your schoolmates listen to? And he says, well, they listen to shit, Dad. You know. Well, <laughs> Unfortunately, like, like he's probably guys. right. Yeah. Well. Well, anyway, so I don't know. Maybe uh, if I were to say to Max, you want to take over for an episode, I'll just go and, and watch some TV and I'm sure he'd be the one who'd be uh, quite happy to talk with you about mm-hmm. Warren Zevon. He, he's, a, he's a huge nut. Um, yeah. it, it was, I mean, uh, to show you how serious I am about how much I... It, you know, we're, I'm talking here from my workplace where I do a lot of my writing Yes. and right over my uh, computer setup is a poster that I got when he did Tramps here a couple of years before he died. Mm. So I'm always looking up at him for inspiration. Yep. You know, I, I heard uh, a bootleg of a concert that Bob Dylan did, I think, shortly after uh, after Warren Zevon died. And I think it might have been, was it around the same time when uh, George Harrison died? And I, I think, think so. It might have been so, like on the same... 2001. Yeah, on the same concert or certainly around the, the same period, he d- uh, Bob Dylan did something in tribute to Harrison and he did yeah. Mutineer. Uh, oh. by Warren Zevon in a show and I think if anything I like Dylan's version better it's not never been officially released but y- you could really tell he wasn't um, wasn't just you know, sort of trying to do a carbon copy thing oh well he's died he's topical I'll play the song you could tell yeah. he had a real feel for the song it was absolutely I always beautiful. get an impression that, that Warren kind of had a very bitter relationship with that song because as he puts it in, in the liner notes for the uh, Reiner retrospective they put out mm. back in like I think it was like 1992 or 93 he said this was a love letter to my fans that they sent right back to me <laughs> yeah it's a, it a what we call a boomerang yeah <laughs> alright so um, yeah so regardless Joe Jackson Warren Zevon I'm sure we'll find something to uh, be doing down the, nec- down the road in the next uh, two three months uh, so at this stage I like to um, oh actually no before I do my uh, my uh, thank yous and, and shout outs to the other podcasts um, maybe you should be giving the listeners the ways to find you your podcast with Derek uh, your right. blog site uh, give any of that detail out um, Better in the Dark, which we've referenced a couple of times, is can be available at either earth2.net, that's earth-2.net, every other Thursday, mm-hmm. or through betterinthedarksite.com, and there you get all sorts of the apocrypha, the whole lingo, lingo that we use, all that stuff. Mm. Um, the blog is, well, there's... The movie blog, Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes, at damnyourearsdamnyoureyes.blogspot.com. The music blog, Sing Along Scriptures, at singalongscriptures.blogspot.com. And most recently, the Nocturne Travel Agency, where I'm doing all my fiction writing, promoting. Wow. Which is Nocturne Travel. Welcome to nocturne.blogspot.com. You're keeping very, very busy there. Uh... (laughs) I'm one of these people that if I 
don't have anything to do, I fall asleep. So right. I don't want to sleep 10 hours a day, 10, 20, 30 hours a day. So you don't want to be an Abe Simpson. Yeah, pretty much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> there are wolves outside, and I'm scared. Uh, okay, so the other podcasts that um, we'll uh, give a bit of a shout out to uh, the usual suspects Silver and Gold with Zom and Pickleloaf, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Large William and the Samurai. Uh, uh, this show, oh, you've already mentioned it, Better in the Dark. Oh, I don't know where they came from. Uh, Paleo Cinema. Posers. Sorry? Bunch of posers. Oh, a bunch of posers. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just like this, love that album show I've heard about. Um, uh, from my hometown of uh, Melbourne, Paleo Cinema and the Martian Drive-In podcast, hosted by uh, Terry Frost. And I, I was looking on Facebook earlier on uh, this evening. I think Terry had put out uh, a post saying, "Shh, be very quiet. I'm recording podcast or something to that effect." So Terry's doing every um, second, every two weeks, he's doing a Martian Drive-In podcast. Uh, dealing in, um, he doesn't call it science fiction. I think he calls it uh, uh, visionistic or futuristic or spe- no speculative fiction podcast or something like that. Uh, and every other week, Paleo Cinema. Uh, so uh, search out Terry Frost. Um, does some really fantastic shows. Uh, then there's um, one I've only just recently got into um, called the Twilight Zone podcast. And that's out of England. I've forgotten the guy's name who hosts it. Oh, is it Tom Ryan, I think? And he does every episode. He talks for 30, 40 minutes or whatever it'll be about one episode. Uh, so about, yeah, one episode of Twilight Zone per episode of his podcast. Uh, it goes in some depth and it's it's been nothing short of fascinating. And being a big fan of uh, the Twilight Zone, I'm still sort of slowly making my way through it. But um, I'm really, really enjoying it. He's doing a fantastic job there. Um, now, another show which I'm going to sort of give a shout out to, even though, funnily enough, I haven't had a chance to listen to them yet. I've downloaded a couple of episodes, but I haven't listened to them properly yet. And that's called the Inside Outside Cast. And why I mentioned them for two reasons. I know they're very good friends with another podcast I'm going to mention in a minute. Uh, but uh, uh, one of the hosts of the show, of the Inside Outside cast, uh, Evil Dave, uh, very nicely went and sent me uh, an email giving me some really, what I thought was really very good um, uh, constructive criticism about the show. And one of the things that he mentioned about the show that he thought would make a good improvement, I've gone and instigated for this episode. I don't know whether I'll do it in the long term, but I wanted to hear how it would come out. And he'd gone and mentioned that rather than playing the music underneath uh, the discussion, so it ends up being that we're talking about a song and we're actually playing a different song, he said, why don't you try putting a sample of the song before you talk about it, which is what we've done for this episode. So if you've heard it and you like that, or you don't like it, send me some feedback. I'm always up for uh, ideas, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. Um, and I really am very grateful that Dave took the time to um, send me that uh, feedback and mention another couple of things. Um, and just the fact that someone out there is listening and gives a damn to write, I'm, I'm really, really grateful. So thanks for that, Dave. And I'll be uh, uh, listening to the couple of episodes I've downloaded of Inside Outside Cast. Uh, sometime over the next week. And the other ep- uh, shows I want to talk about, of course, 
Um, the one that Pace Magazine uh, noted as the second best music podcast, uh, but I think they're wrong. It's the best. I love them. The List Music Podcast with VK Lin, uh, Ricardo, Juan, and Jenny. And I'm very, very, very excited because I've recorded a couple of episodes. They invited me to come onto their show. And the first of the episodes that we've recorded is going to be on this week. I'm not going to give away the theme. I'll leave that till it's on. But uh, not just because I'm on it. Please listen to the List Music Podcast. This is the most fun program. In fact, when my wife came home and she said, oh, how did you, did you have a nice time recording the podcast? And I said, look, it's the best fun I've had with my clothes on in a long time. <coughs> and... They just basically, if you've not caught the show, they talk about a given topic, uh, whatever it might be, favourite drummers, favourite Christmas songs, favourite songs about misery, whatever it might be. And it's interesting to see these four people. Sometimes they have a bit of crossover, but they've all got different tastes and it's interesting to say, see where they take that week's topic. Um, uh, for for very diverse uh, sets of tastes and opinions, and it's just a lot of fun. So uh, I urge you people out there to uh, download the List Music Podcast, and this week um, will be the first of the episodes that I appear on, and it was a lot of fun, and I hope to get another invite. Guys, if you're listening, hint, hint, I want back. Um, and also, uh, the final one I want to say hello to is my good friend Michael Persh, uh, who does his great show sitting in a bar in Adelaide and he's um, I'm trying to think who, who he's got on this week I can't remember so forgive me Michael um, but he's always got some great guests on sometimes famous sometimes not so famous but it's always music and musicians that he's passionate about uh, and that alone is well worth your time so look up sitting in a bar in Adelaide with Michael Persh and I think that pretty much covers all my salutations and greetings and all that sort of thing so I think really at, it's quarter past midnight here on a Sunday night Monday morning well, I'm here. sorry for keeping you up don't keep me up it takes two to podcast so uh, I've, I've, I've been more than happy um, uh, talking and gas bagging it you know I mean look until I started this podcast thing I couldn't find enough people to just sort of sit back and talk for three hours about music and now I've got an excuse people you know I can I I go around, I tap someone on the shoulder, hey man, want to talk about this great album for two hours? We have dedicated time. Just sit down and we'll, yeah. I'll record it. And, and it's, it's, it's great. So no, don't apologize, man. It's, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. And uh, we'll be doing this again for sure. All right. All right. Uh, okay, so uh, and once again, a big thanks to you listeners out there for uh, downloading this. Hope you've enjoyed this episode where we talked about Ben Folds. I'll be back with Love That Album again in a couple of weeks. Uh, so until then, uh, listen to lots of great records, watch great movies, read some great books, whatever it is that you do to keep your mind active or for entertainment. And we'll be back remember, in a couple of weeks. Sorry? And remember, remember, life is rough and full of stuff. So when you make a mess, clean it up. No, I think the most interesting things come out of life from not cleaning it up. <laughs> Leave, you know, you, you shit on the bed, make something nice out of it. It's what my cat does. What my cat does. I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs>
Anyway, all right. Cheers, folks. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. And don't forget to also check out Better in the Dark. Speak to you soon. Cheers. No. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.